Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. This is Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Nice, relaxing Sunday, I'll be honest. It was a nice weekend overall for myself. Um, nothing too crazy, honestly. Uh, Sabres had a nice Saturday night, and then if, with that, obviously, playoffs are still on the mind there. And then uh, on top of hockey, Josh, the Masters is next weekend. So mm. my mind is big on golf. It's like... It, to me, the Masters is finally when when it's around the corner and it's happening. That's when spring is finally here to me. That's that's what that means. Golf season and spring is finally here, and it just brightens the mood to myself and a lot of others that I know. So I'm very, I'm very, I'm, I'm in a very good mood right now. I'm I'm feeling good, and I'm excited to be sitting down here to talk to you for this wonderful podcast and also get ourselves into draft season. Yeah, it is definitely draft season. I am such a football guy, Luca. That. When I think about the best time on the sports calendar, it almost always defaults to fall and winter because it's hard for me to imagine a time on the sports calendar where that's a great sports time that doesn't involve like looking forward to NFL Sunday. But this is such a sneaky, maybe not sneaky, but for someone like me who like lives in the NFL world, but like casually watches the NBA, uh, likes baseball, but doesn't love it. Uh, enjoys watching golf from afar like hockey kind of is over in the corner and i'm happy when they do well because i know there's a lot of sabers fans that listen to our show this is actually a really good time for sports because yes the nfl draft is right around the corner so tail into free agency nfl draft nfl still feels kind of front and center but mlb opening week which is just like the charm is still there it kind of wears off in the summer or the dog days before it picks back up for the playoffs. But like at least in April, the, the charm of baseball is there. March Madness is, is right in full swing. Like we're going to have the championship game tomorrow. And then the ladies championship, oh, we're recording this on Sunday night, the ladies championship LSU won tonight. That was cool. And there's just WrestleMania if you're into that kind of thing. And then the Masters. So I think it's, it's really fun. I enjoy it. Um, a lot of those sports like golf, baseball are great, like Sunday afternoon nap sports, too, that if you just want to turn them on in the background and catch some Z's, that is not my world I live in. I'm a parent and uh, naps are not a thing anymore. I actually found one of my kids at urgent care tonight. She had pink eye. My wife took her there, but all is good in the McCarty household. And I love the fact, Luca. Well, first of all, did you fall for any April Fool's jokes? No, I did not. I am I am very on point when it comes to April Fool's jokes, thanks to a friend having a birthday on April Fool's. So it's okay. like I always know when it is and I know when to look out for things. I fell for one. Uh oh. My daughter. <sighs> dad, come in here. There's a wasp. You know, and I'm like, oh, I get my chance to be super dad and come in and like kill the big mean wasp and be your hero. And I go in there and I'm like, where is it? And she's just giggling. I'm like, what? Where is it? And she goes, April Fool's. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get mad and then I'm like, I, I don't actually get mad, but I'm like, well, she's my kid. Of course, she's going to be a little jokester. Um, all right, Luca, we have gone through all of free agency and that's been where our heads have been at. And I know like we have been diving and we want to go where the topics are and the topics have been free agency, but it is April now, my friends. And you and I, if you've been with us since the beginning, we just hit our one year anniversary. We live for the draft. We are so excited. We did make the announcement earlier this week that we will be live on Built in Buffalo YouTube during the entire first round of the draft. And Luca, we will have special guests for that. We've lined up a couple of our friends from Built in Buffalo. We think Stokes is going to stop by. We've reached out to some other content creators in the community. We have, we're not going to make any announcements just yet, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a watch along so we can kind of react to the picks as they're happening, predict some picks. 
obviously talk about it through a Bills lens, what's happening that's, that could impact what the Bills are going to do. This is something you and I have been excited about. Excited, uh, we've been exploring how this could work. It's happening. So I know you're thrilled just as I am. Oh, super excited. And, you know, behind the scenes and stuff, I have been making so many different things, trying to lab certain stuff. As you said, this is still even a work in progress and we've been playing around with a lot of things, but I know, you know, I've been messaging you almost daily with, Hey, how about this for an idea? Let's do this. Have this as a backdrop. This is how we can share content. You know, this is how we can bring in guests. This is what we can do. Ultra excited to be doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it's going to be on camera live for, you know, three plus hours. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm a, there's no one else I'd rather do it with than you, of course, Josh. And on top of it, I am very excited to just experience what it will be like live reaction stuff, of course, for the Bills pick, but just the draft overall, because it's it's a it's a celebration, right? The first round of the draft, it's kind of in a fan's world, the unofficial start, you know, free agency is kind of the start of the new league season, but when you get the draft and you have these, uh, we'll call them shiny new toys drafted to your team and brought into your team, that is signifying officially the new year is starting. It's kind of like a new year's, you know, new year's Eve, new year's day situation where everyone celebrates their first round pick, of course, on that first day, the Thursday night that we will be live on air. And then throughout the weekend, you keep getting these new toys and figuring out what is the team going to look like? How are we going to make these guys? How are they going to fill in? What is going to happen? So very, very excited for this live event that we have going on, both you and I and whoever else decides to stop by. Very much excited for it. The NFL draft, it, I always think of the NFL offseason as like, walking through a desert like there's moments of it that aren't so bad like free agency is cool and then but like once you get past the draft it's just like man june like july it's the dog days of the nfl offseason the draft is like a beautiful oasis in the middle of the desert where you just get to have an entire weekend dedicated to nfl football every single fan gets to be involved and in a lot of ways the teams that aren't so good in the fall get to shine in the spring. And that's cool because that was us for the longest time. Like the bills were a six and 10 football team, seven and nine football team, but man, come draft day, that was our time to shine until we picked Dante Whitner or, you know, until, until we go out there and we pick John McCargo. And then it just, it's like, we waited, <laughs> we lost all those games for John McCargo. Um, but yeah, so I, I love it. I'm excited to start our process of creating our content toward the draft, which will obviously culminate with our live show on draft night. But here's what we have planned for Bill's chat leading up to the draft tonight. We are going to start our draft prospect coverage with a look at the offensive prospects in this draft. But there are a couple of catches here, and that's kind of a pun. We'll get to that in a second. One, we're looking at these drafts through these draft prospects through the lens of the Bills. So what Luca and I are not going to do is we're not going to spend much time at all on quarterbacks. The Bills have no need for a quarterback. They're not going to be taking a quarterback. We're not going to waste your time talking about quarterbacks. We want to look at these prospects, talk about who are good fits for the Bills in the early rounds, who are some sleepers we like for the Bills in the late rounds, why we think they make sense for the Bills, because there are some really high-end prospects that are good players ranked high on a bunch of national big boards that just schematically don't fit what the bills do. And we will certainly get into all of that tonight. The other catch I want to talk about is, and this is where the pun comes in. Luca and I were doing our, our hardcore research this week and we were going back and forth, like 
what, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this guy? And then we started talking about wide receivers and we started arguing like friendly, you know, just like, <laughs> you don't like this guy. You're not. So wait, you, you think this guy's, but what are you talking about? And it took us about five minutes of realizing wide receiver needs to be its own show. Like one, it's the sexy position. It's the, it's the guy that's catching passes from Josh Allen Two, We know people want offensive linemen. That's certainly a big need, but wide receiver is the funnest position of the, the bills needs to scout because it's playmakers, open field athleticism. So what Luca and I have decided to do is we're going to do a live show this coming Friday, specifically dedicated to this wide receiver group. We're going to go over our wide receiver rankings. I can promise you we're going to argue uh, but so what we're not going to do really is talk too, too much about wide receivers tonight, Luca. I, I know it's maybe a tease. Maybe it's unfair if you came in here hoping for wide receivers. But I think the trade off of having an entire show on Friday dedicated to wide receivers is a win win. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in our conversations that are ever ongoing, um, it's ex- it's it's just so exciting to talk about this class for multiple reasons when it comes to the wide receivers and how there are polarizing opinions on certain guys and who you see above the others and who would you rather see on the bills and, or any other team for that matter. Like it, there's, it, there's not a, a straightforward answer. There's not a clear cut one, two, three, four to this class. It's very much so kind of staggered in opinion and kind of what you prefer in a guy you would like on this team or your team or whatever it may be. So as you said, it took us all the five minutes to realize, yeah, this needs to be its own thing entirely. Um, it's going to be a fun uh, discussion, may get escalated a little bit, but on top of it, it's, it's going to be, it's, look, we're, we're trying to create a little bit of content here. In all reality, it'll be good content to do live on the spot. You know, we don't even want to probably share too much about what we want to talk about or how, why we feel the way we do. Of course, we talk about, you know, certain things and stuff, but when we get onto that live show, that is going to be a perfect time to have even you, the fans and just people that listen to us uh, just kind of chime in with how you feel about that. And we understand that that might be a great, great time to really dive into the, as you even named it, the sexy position known as wide receivers. So there's no reason to do it tonight. Things like that. Sorry if you started listening for this. Please don't turn it off, though, because we promise we will be talking about pretty much every other offensive position. And um, it's just that we felt there's way too much to talk about the wide receivers that this episode could have gone three plus hours like some of our original OG classics. And we just didn't want to do that for everyone. And if you're watching on the YouTube version of this podcast, you just saw my screen shake. It's because I am uncoordinated, just kicked the thing under my desk and thought that there was, if it looked like there was an earthquake on my screen, we are covered. I will also tell you that I recorded an episode of Quick Hits with Stokes this week, and I was wearing my glasses, and I'm going to put them on for the YouTube audience, Luca, and I quickly realized glasses with my setup do not work because the light that I have, it just looks like my my eyes are on fire. So no longer will I be doing glasses. It'll be contacts. <laughs> or just eyes as is. So that's a little peek behind the curtain. Um, but let's get into this, this class because I am excited to talk about it. And let's start where I think if it's not wide receiver, what most fans think is the Bills' biggest need in this draft, offensive line, and maybe specifically offensive tackle. When you look at this offensive tackle class, Luca, I think it lines up very nicely with where the Bills pick. I want to say one thing as a qualifier. I understand 
that we're going to mention players tonight that your initial reaction is going to be, oh, he's not going to be there. He's not going to be there when they pick. We understand that too. But I will tell you that whether it's tackle, whether it's tight end, whether it's guard, whether it's wide receiver on Friday, none of these players are players that are generational or players that are being mocked in the top two or three. Um, Some of these tackles we're going to talk about here in a bit They might go as high as top 10, but for the most part, you're seeing them start to come off the board in that 10 to 20 range. Um, And and that's not somebody that we just want to rule out because a mock draft has them going 13th and the Bills pick 27th. The draft is weird. The Bills obviously have the ability to trade up if they want to. So we don't want to rule out those conversations. We also don't want to keep saying over and over again in this episode, he's probably not going to be there. He's probably not going to be there. So just understand that we understand that the players we talk about tonight may or may not be there when the Bills pick, but we want to give you a good idea for players that could very much be in the conversation for the Bills at pick 27 if they're on the board, uh, what the other prospects in this class look like, why the Bills might rule out some of those prospects, and then we also want to talk about some guys that if the Bills don't address that position in round one, what's available to them in the later rounds of the draft. Luca, this offensive tackle class, what are your thoughts just on the whole for how this class looks overall as a, as an entire tackle class, it's kind of a class where there are, and I'm just looking at my own notes. There are a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys that I felt were comfortable enough to write down, do a little bit of an analysis on kind of see where other people have them listed ranked so on and so forth. And then after that, there is a massive And in my opinion, I mean massive drop-off from there. I think you get to that kind of Darnell Wright, Tyler Steen area, and depending on where you have them, of course, maybe you have someone even below them among this seven that I'm talking about, but I would imagine that might not be the case. Regardless, you get to that area, and then it's just like, they're essentially a bunch of dart throws out there that I would feel are guys that the bills and a lot of other teams are going to be looking at these individuals post round five. And it's just, if you like something about them, you're going to dra- pick them in the sixth round and see if you got something there, but they're not worth really much more of your time. It's, it's an interesting class because I think there are differentiating opinions when it comes to how to rank these, you know, six, seven guys. But outside of them, I feel like is a more unanimous kind of feeling that once you get out of them, there's not really a whole lot of tackle, depth, talent, whatever you want to call it in this draft class as a whole. And then it just becomes a lot of darts being thrown and just seeing what you get late in the draft from there. I have six tackles that I would be comfortable with the Bills taking in the first round. And that's a that's a strong number. So that's six, you know, that's a that's a really strong number. So you ha- you have seven that you've you've rated. You didn't say necessarily you'd take them all in the first round, but I think I think we're sharing a brain that the the talent that this is gonna sound really obvious, the talent in this class at tackle is at the top. But what we mean by that is there are positions, maybe even wide receiver, like we talk about on Friday, where the fourth guy on the list may not be too much different than the 15th guy on the list. Whereas with tackle, I think once you get out of that top six or seven that even Luca was talking about, now you're looking at maybe more of a project. You're looking at maybe like a a Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle, where you roll the dice on traits, but it's unrefined traits. And how much better off are you versus what you already have in-house with Doyle and Brown? I want to start with somebody 
who I think is, if he's not the first, it seems like unanimously the first or second offensive lineman off the board in most mock drafts. And that's Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern. And Luca, this guy is, when you talk about a technician for the offensive tackle position, he just checks every box. He has great hands. He has great feet. We're going to use a term a lot tonight called RAS. That's relative relative athletic score. That's a formula made by somebody named Math Bomb, Kent Lee Platt on Twitter, which essentially the relative part of it is compares your athletic skills, whether it's how you did at the combine, your size, it puts it all into a bucket and compares you in a percentile against every player that's ever played your position since he started tracking it on a scale of one to 10. So 9.28 is very, very high. It's essentially the 93rd percentile. And when you look at um, Skaronsky, great hands, great feet, great movement skills. He's fantastic in space. He got better every year. He started as a true freshman at Northwestern when uh, Rashawn Slater opted out for COVID. Brandon Thorne, whose opinion on offensive line I respect more than really anybody that covers this stuff, said he's the best pass blocker in the class, also has the best hands in the class. There's almost nothing to not like about Skaronsky, Luca, but the issue with him is he has small arms. They're 32 and a quarter inch arms. By comparison, the Bills, Deion Dawkins has 35 inch arms, uh, Spencer Brown, 34.75, um, 34 and three quarters if you want. Um, the, the NFL ideal arm length that tends to be 34 and up. And I know if you're sitting there rolling your eyes, like who cares about a couple of inches, the ability to win the battle of who gets their hands on the other guy first between the offensive lineman and defensive lineman can be everything in that battle. I think Luca, even in this imaginary world where Skaronsky fell to the bills, I'm not sure he'd be their flavor of offensive lineman and maybe specifically because of the arm length situation. I think everything you just said there, yes, is accurate. I think uh, to me, he's probably your most NFL ready tackle in this draft. I think he is a guy that I would honestly be a little surprised if he did fall to the bills at 27. I think there would be other teams that like everything or a lot about this, you know, the prospect of him, um, I called him my uh, self-proclaimed Bernard Raymond of the draft this year. If you are not familiar with our early uh, episodes of last year, Bernard Raymond was an offensive lineman I fell in love with for a long time, thought he was going to be a late round steal. And all of a sudden he flew up draft boards and I was upset because everyone found my gem and I was a little upset about it. But anyways, he was not ever that he was always looked at you know, Skaronsky that is as a, a top end uh, tackle of this draft. And it's just though, He's not the Bills, you know, cup of tea because of the measurables being a question mark and things like that. And when it comes to the Bills, especially in the first round, you beat the drum of all the time where it's like they look for measurables. They look for freakish like talent when it comes to physical attributes. So uh, attributes. I don't know why I said attributes. It's weird. We anyway. got it. We know. What you mean. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Uh, tomato, potato. Um, so it's like. He he's a great player and I'm sure he's going to be great for whoever he ends up with. And most likely he might not fall to 27. So we need, we don't even need to spend too much time, but even if he was there, I think you and I are both on the same page and I feel like others would also agree with this. He doesn't necessarily check all the boxes of a player that the bills would take at 27 or in the first round in general. So for that, it's like, you don't have to spend too much time on it. And it's, it's not a detriment to him per se. It's just, 
Unfortunately, he is not what you would consider an athletic freak. He's just really good in the technique. He understands how to play the position very, very well and understands how to use his body to the best that he can. It's just he doesn't measure out in a way that the Bills seem to you know, trend towards drafting in the first round. I think he has an excellent floor of if he doesn't work out at tackle, which I think he'll work out at tackle. I think he's going to be just fine. Um, I think he could be the best guard in this class, probably is the best guard in this class. So at worst, you're getting somebody that could end up being your Zach Martin. I know there was talk when Zach Martin came into the Cowboys that he could be a, a tackle and they just immediately put him at guard. And now that's rich. Zach Martin's going to go to the Hall of Fame. But just understand like this is I feel like as much as you don't want to say um, anything definitive, I feel like this is about as bust proof as a pick as we're going to be talking about. Another guy that if if it's not Skoranek, the first offensive lineman off the board, the other one you really see a lot of, Luca, is Paris Johnson from Ohio State. Now, this guy has a very interesting career trajectory in college. He was the number one offensive tackle prospect coming out of high school. Brandon Thorne, again, rated him as the best run blocker in space in this draft class, and we know how much the Bills love to get their linemen in space. He sustains blocks well. He finishes his blocks. He has elite athleticism. And that comes in handy for him because he only has one year of starting at Ohio State at tackle. He played guard prior to that. So there are still moments where you see him, you don't want to say mess up, but you see the the room to grow as a pass, pass blocker that still needs to be developed. But he has so much athleticism, Luca, that even when he gets beat initially, he has that recovery ability to still get there and wall off the defender. Very quick feet. He also has a super strong anchor. Like once he gets set, he is not going to let you go by him. And while you talk about only one year of starting in college and he's not necessarily the strongest guy when it comes to this and the hands is what really concerns me about him. His hands can be late sometimes. Um, and you see some body control issues with, and I think a lot of that is just technique. I think Luca NFL coaches are going to look at Paris Johnson, see the laundry list of pluses, see the fact he only played tackle for one year. They're going to look at his weaknesses and pass protection. And they're going to think we can absolutely coach that out of him. Yeah. I, I think that final point is definitely something that people are going to fall in love with. They, people love to fall with fall in love with lists and accolades and things that players have kind of in resume, like backing to them. And there's a lot that comes with Paris Johnson. Um, I think his athleticism is definitely there. And I think as a run blocker, he's absolutely someone that I think could step in and be very good at day one in an NFL, pretty much with anything going on there. I think the thing that is interesting to me about Paris Johnson and why I don't personally have him as my first tackle, and I'm always going to kind of come back to this, and this will become a theme throughout this entire episode, is I, I like where they stand and I understand where they stand when it comes to the kind of the national perception where a lot of knowledgeable individuals have them ranked. Where I kind of fall off a little bit is Paris Johnson to me is you either are going to love him for what he has as a resume and what he can potentially bring. And then you just need to coach things out of, or you just understand that there is more work than it kind of feels like at the surface, because as you said, like I, it was interesting to me that in multiple instances, I would read something on him and it would say lunges at pass blocks regularly, you know, wants to punch pass blockers regularly rather than latch on, follow whatever it may be. 
And to me, that's a concern only because it seems like he thinks, and this is just me, you know, taking a shot here. But when I, when I read stuff like that and it's, you're a really good run blocker because obviously you do those things very well, but all of a sudden you keep stabbing at people, missing, making mistakes left and right. I, I always believe it's easier to coach run blocking than pass blocking. And because pass blocking, you have to go more off of, you know, split second instinct and things like that. Like you're, you're kind of backpedaling literally, and you need to kind of just go off of your knowledge and what you're comfortable with. And he just seems to naturally be comfortable with taking a swing at another player to try to physically dominate them in whatever way he thinks is suitable. And it just doesn't work. And that to me is, I think other teams may look at that and go, we may be able to coach that out of him. Maybe not, but there's definitely going to be, I think you're spot on. There's definitely going to be teams out there that fall in love with all the resume and, and the list of, you know, accolades and all that kind of stuff. And, and just the high end stuff that he seems to bring to the table that as long as you can tweak it here and there, you're going to get a very high end tackle. And I totally understand that. It's just, I definitely think there is a question mark or two with him and a player like him just because of those certain things. Yeah. I mean, in the late hands and the, the recovery speed to make up for it, that works at Ohio state when maybe you're going against somebody in Wisconsin that has you know, a geometry major and he's going to be a math teacher in five years. But when you're going against a Bosa brother or TJ Watt or Von Miller, like good luck. Like if, if you don't get your hands up in time, your quarterback's going to really pay for it. So I totally understand the concerns. You mentioned neither one of those guys are your tackle one. So I'm curious, Luca, who is your tackle one and why? So my tackle one is Dewan Jones. Hmm. And for everything we kind of said about Skaronsky, is I might have said that wrong. I, I'm trying to think. Anyways, I think you got uh, it right. You're good. Okay, cool. Uh, is I love free. I'm with the Bills when it comes to freak athletes, and I love freakish, you know, attributes. I love everything about that. And when you look at a tackle that is six foot eight, 375 pounds, and has a over seven foot long wingspan, and has the ability, I, I actually, let me give you a stat of his too. He allowed one sack on 419 pass blocking downs snaps last season. He has all of this backing to him. He is someone that realistically at that size, you can feel being a cornerstone bedrock left tackle for you for a long time, things like that. And then he's being, you know, kind of just looked at as where, you know, maybe there's a couple things you got to work on just because he's so big. It's like, okay, you're basically asking a giant to learn how to hone himself in. It's like, I feel like that is something that is a lot easier to do than asking a guy to learn how to be quicker off the snap or, you know, to understand what they're looking for more. Like you're just asking a big dude to see things a little bit smaller. And that's okay with me. Like that to me is enough for me to be like, this is the tackle I'm in love with most personally. Um, I, let me just as, cause you're basically saying my one T and it's like, he is my personal favorite tackle on this draft for multiple reasons. He is not necessarily the guy I would expect to see. If I was in a war room, he would not be probably realistically someone I would take at the 10th overall pick because I also understand value and that a lot of the rest of the league may like Skronsky or uh, Paris Johnson or anyone else. It's just me personally, me in a you know vacuum. I love Dewan Jones the most when it comes to all these tackles. It's just... There's so much upside and just to me, that size makes his ceiling just limitless. Honestly, like his ceiling is a legitimate left tackle for years to come. And he could probably, 
on the Bills, for instance, step in and challenge at that right tackle spot for now because you do have Dawkins there at left for the you know near future. Just step in and really challenge at that right tackle spot just because of his size and athleticism that he has right then and there. You know, the NFL tends to be kind of old school and they're thinking they see somebody who's six, eight and they pigeonhole him as a right tackle. They did the same thing with Orlando Brown jr. And in a lot of ways, when you see the way free agency played out this off season, they still are doing that to him, even though he's been a left tackle. They're like, no, 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 you're a right tackle. So I do wonder if that the NFL would look at Dewan Jones in the same light, but you mentioned the pros about him. The size is you just is size is a skill. I think it's Chris Sims who says it all the time. Size is a skill, whether you want it to be or not, it is. And six eight, and he has a seven foot six wingspan. So it's almost impossible unless he messes up on the rep for him not to be the first person in that offensive lineman versus defensive lineman matchup to get his hands on his opponent. Now he does lack foot speed, which you would expect from somebody six, eight, almost 360 pounds. He's not fantastic in space. Again, not a surprise. I do think unlike some of the other guys we talked about already, maybe most notably Skaronsky, I don't think he has the fallback plan of being a guard. If it doesn't work out at tackle, you just don't see a lot of six, eight guards hard to get leverage at that size on the interior. But what I love about your guy, Dewan Jones, Luca is not only does he have the skill of the size, but he knows how to use his hands. And that to me is what makes him such an intriguing prospect and what puts him into the first round. If he was just big and he didn't know how to use his hands, well, then it would be like, let's take him in day two or day three and coach him up. But he gets his hands on you first. He he has good hand usage throughout the rep. And I think this is somebody that the bill should absolutely be considering at pick 27 if he's there. And he certainly is on my list of offensive linemen that I would take there at pick 27 if he's there for the Bills. So I have no problem with him being number one for you. There's not an Orlando pace in this class. There's really not even like a DeBrickishaw Ferguson in this class. All of these guys have things about them that you can talk yourself out of. But there are some really good tackles in this class, and I think he's certainly in that conversation. Let's talk about another guy that I really like, Broderick Jones, 6'5", 3'11". Another guy that only has one full year as a starter in 2022. He has a very high RAS score, 9.56. He also is an elite athlete in space. And then day one, he is a very, very good run blocker in space. So you can put him out there. You know he's going to improve your running game from whatever Spencer Brown's getting you. He also has very good contact balance. And he also has, like um, a couple other guys we've mentioned, the body control and athleticism to cover if he's initially beat things. I don't necessarily love about Broderick Jones right now that I do think that they can fix is he doesn't have great hand usage. He, he needs to get better at not letting defensive linemen get to his chest. You saw it happen way too much for somebody who was six, five, three, 11. You just see too many times, Luca, that he's almost put on skates where the D line gets his hands on him, pushes him back. And that can create a problem for the quarterback. He's slow out of his snap. It's almost like you watch him a couple of times and it's like he's not even hearing the snap count or whatever's going on. It just feels like that split second, which doesn't sound like much, but man, in the NFL, that can be the difference between a good play and a bad play. A little bit slow there. And his pass protection does need to be cleaned up. I think he's in the bucket with a couple of guys, even the guy we're going to talk about next, where the run blocking is NFL ready. The pass blocking has the potential with the skills he has, but it needs to be coached out of him. 
I will tell you, Andrew Thomas, the Giants offensive lineman, had a lot of these same concerns coming in. And now he's a basically, I think he's all pro, but he's one of the best offensive tackles in the sport. So don't think that they can't get coached out of him. But Broderick Jones, to me, is another one of these ball of clay guys that has enough in pass protection that I think he would instantly start over Spencer Brown if they Bills took him. And you'd feel really good about his ceiling, but you might have to live with some growing pains early on. Yeah, that last man, you are finishing your statements beautifully, like exactly where I want to lean into. It's it's perfect. It's simpatico here. I think the the common theme I saw when it comes to Broderick Jones, and I agreed with 100 percent and I agree with what you're saying about him as well, is raw. I kept seeing the word raw when it comes to Broderick Jones, and that's okay. That's just, it's a kid who still needs to kind of understand the intricacies of his position. He needs to kind of tune a lot of different things, get a little bit quicker with his just mental fortitude of just understanding the snap, how to get the jump off the snap, things like that. Kind of what he needs to do to elevate his pass blocking game. I I just said how it's harder to coach or it's, you know, it's not eight, you're not able to coach pass blocking but you can at least advise, you can at least tell them it's like, Hey, these are the things to look for in trying to time the snap properly. You know, when it comes to hearing it correctly and getting that jump on the edge, who is opposite of you, things like that. And those are things that can be brought to his attention, which then he has the physical attributes and the athleticism to kind of make that all work together. And like you said, Andrew Thomas, you know, situation, it's like there were those kind of similar things with him. I don't think, you know, Broderick Jones is at that level when it comes to who Andrew Thomas is, but in that same regard, a little bit, it's like there might be concerns now, but in the right environment with the right person around him and things like that, he could be a legitimate guy in no time. As long as things work out, the ceiling is definitely there. And yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. If he were to be the guy that the bills took, I would be very, very okay with it. I have him in my tier one kind of category. I think there's a lot of upside when it comes to a Broderick Jones that I like a lot with what I see. There are the things and concerns that are there. A lot of these guys have concerns and question marks to me. So it's, you know, you kind of have to just live with what you get. And yeah, um, to wrap it up real quick, how you wrapped it up is well, well said, you're going to have to live with some growing pains if he's in there, but just understand that he's learning on the fly, trying to get up to speed literally with what's going on. And you realistically could see him eventually figuring it out, you know, sooner rather than later and become a legitimate starter at tackle in the NFL. Another guy who is of the same ilk as a Broderick Jones is Darnell Wright from Tennessee. Tennessee is a hard offense to get a grasp on. They almost play a big 12 style where I know like it's harder to hide an offensive lineman and maybe we'll get into a receiver. They have that was maybe more schemed open. We could talk about that Friday, but Tennessee in general is just a hard offense to get a grasp on when trying to project it to the NFL. But Darnell Wright has a lot of the same strengths as Broderick Jones, not, you know, no pun intended, but he's great as a run blocker. Brandon Thorne said he's the best power run blocker in the entire class. He also absorbs force very well. Great contact balance, elite anchor. So he gets back. He, you're not going to get past him once he can get his feet in the ground. He overwhelmed edge rushers in college. Another thing I love about him is he played his best against the top competition, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Now he has a 9.47 RAS score. I will tell you that I feel like that's a little inflated. I don't necessarily think that he plays to that speed. In fact, 
when you watch him, when you read up on him, he does have slow foot speed, which concerns me because that's not necessarily something you can coach up. You either have fast foot speed or you don't. Um, I think he got lazy with his mechanics or just has poor mechanics. He able to, he was able to get by by overpowering folks in college, and you just can't do that in the NFL. He's very late with his hands, not consistent in pass blocking. And why I'm not as optimistic, I, I love Darnell Wright. I would take him at pick 27. While I'm not, I just put him a little bit below Broderick Jones, um, Paris Johnson, Maybe Dewan Jones. I think he, for me, I know you love Dewan Jones. For me, he's right there with Dewan Jones, where it's kind of like uh, Baskin Robbins, choose your flavor. Um, I'm not as confident in him only because I don't necessarily think that he has the ability to kick over to the left side. I know it's 2023 and both tackles need to pass protect. Maybe that's an old school thought process. I just don't see Darnell Wright as being a left tackle in this league. I think he's more of like an older school right tackle. Um, great power runner. There's there's more to clean up in the passing game where it concerns me that I don't I don't dream about the ceiling with him. I am concerned about the floor and the growing pains. If it all works out, it could be great. But I, I do think there is a path with Darnell Wright where it doesn't work out. There's a path with all these guys where it doesn't work out. But I guess I'm more concerned about living in that world with Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright to me is the first tackle on this where I genuinely am concerned with the ceiling and where it could, things could go and stuff like that. And, and kind of, it's a weird thing to nitpick and stuff like that because we're, we're going to be talking inches here, just literal inches. But for instance, a guy I love Dewan Jones, he is 36 and three eighth inch arms. That's the 95th percentile. He has 11 in 11 and five eighth inch hands, 98th percentile. The wingspan, Josh already said, it is the largest wingspan in the draft. Um, and then you look at a Darnell Wright. I'm pulling it up real quick because I got a flip page here. But then you look at Darnell Wright, arms, 33 and three quarters. That is the 39th percentile. Hands, nine inch even, nine percentile. And he is noted to be slightly slower with those arms, hands, and feet. And it's like, mm. If you don't have the length and you're a little bit slow when it comes to that, I have genuine concerns for you if you're going to actually be able to speed things up, get things right. I feel like that becomes more of a it becomes more of a situation with a prospect where it's like you need them in the right environment. They have to be in a certain environment to excel. It's no longer someone that I could see in a broader environment where I'm less concerned if the bills are the proper environment when it comes to this prospect. So the, I am worried in some regards for Darnell Wright because I think his ceiling is slightly slower than these other individuals we've talked about so far. And now the room for error is greater. And it's like the, Darnell Wright is the first tackle, I believe, here. I'm trying to go through. Yep. Darnell writes the first tackle where I'm like at 27, I would be questioning things a little bit. Like I would understand why they took a tackle. If they feel like that's the best guy on the board at the time for them, they liked him at 27. They understand it. That's great. I would also question things though, because as we pointed out earlier, they like measurables. They like, you know, freakish like athletes. And all of a sudden say, you know, Dewan Jones is there and then they take Darnell right at 27. I'd be like, okay, you need to sell me on why you made that decision. Because to me, either we really don't understand something about Dewan Jones potentially and or Darnell right in the positive, 
or I just think you guys kind of screwed that one up a little bit. Um, but that's just my opinion and I'm not the one getting paid to make those decisions. So I would just want an explanation on why they did something like that because it doesn't fit what they normally try to do in the first round as we discussed prior. So I just think that room for error um, and just kind of that limited ceiling somewhat of a Darnell Wright makes me question it in the first round. Now that said, I think he's the kind of guy in day two, you know, it's like if they decide to go with him there, I'm very okay with it because he does have upside enough where we are talking that borderline end of first round day two kind of guy. So fully understand that, you know, we're just nitpicking a couple things here and there. Do you have him ahead of Anton Harrison? No. What is, oh, so Anton Harrison, I guess we can get into him now. He would be the last offensive lineman that I would take at pick 27. I would have him behind the other guys we've mentioned, but Anton Harrison to me, similar to the first guy we talked about, Skoranek, I feel like there's almost a no bust factor here, but unlike the other guys we've mentioned, including Skoranek, I don't know how high the ceiling is. Three-year starter at left tackle. He is NFL ready as a pass protector. He is probably the best pass blocker right now coming out of the box in college. He doesn't have elite athleticism. I think he was like a 7.5 RAS. I don't have that in my notes. Um, he can be susceptible to power rushers, doesn't play super, super strong, um, plays a little too high in the run game. In a lot of ways, he fits the mold of what the Bills have built with their offensive linemen. When you look at guys like Mitch Morris, when you look at guys like Connor McGovern, where if you can pass block, we'll live with average run blocking. I think that's where he's at right now, Lucas. He's a very good pass blocker. Probably never going to be more than just a replacement level run blocker. Although to your point, that can be taught. That might be why you like him a little more than me. Um, but I would be comfortable taking him at 27. What is it about Harrison specifically? Is it more of an indictment on Jones or is there something more to Harrison's game that I didn't necessarily hit on? Um, not, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. More yeah. of an indictment on right. Not Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to. No worries. I was going to just smooth right by that. Yeah, it's, I think it's more of an indictment on right. I think there's just more question marks to me on right than um, Harrison. And I say that because I'm just going into this with a heavy pass blocking mindset. And it's like if I look at a guy and I feel like on day one injuries happen, say Spencer Brown is just not going to be able to play. And they're like, all right, Anton you have to be our right tackle right here. And now I'm going to be hella more comfortable with him stepping in at right tackle as a pass blocker than I would a Darnell, Wright. I think there's going to be a lot more issues with a Darnell, Wright Where I'm going to be very, very concerned for that right side. Whereas I would be interested in what's going to happen when it comes to Harrison at right tackle. And I think he would have a better chance at kind of getting up to speed on the fly in the national football league at a quicker pace and just be ready to go. Cause as you said, I mean, it's, it seems like it's pretty widely regarded that he is one of, if not the best pass blocker in this draft at tackle position. Um, I've seen stuff where they say Skronsky might be a little bit better than him, but regardless, you're, you're really, you know, being really tight with that kind of margin. And I think just because of that, that's what edges him there. And that's to me. So for instance, in my tears, he is the bottom of tier two and tier two is only two guys. I'm not going to get into the other one. Cause that's going to just stir a whole pot, but uh, the bottom of tier two is Harrison. And he is where I'm like, okay, I am okay with him at 27, depending on how the draft board worked out and things like that. It's like, I can live with that pick. You don't need to sell me on that. Darnell Wright is the top of my tier three, because now if for some reason 
at 27, you took him. You need to sell me on this. You need to make, I need to hear why you made that decision. So um, overall it's, it's splitting hairs a little bit, but realistically, I don't see how this changes between here and then. I just think Harrison as a pass blocker, as a guy that, you know, the bills seem to look for when it comes to the offensive line just makes more sense to me. And I think there's just way more question marks when it comes to Darnell, Wright Than there are Harrison. So, and I think the, the premise of this conversation is somebody to compete with and potentially if you're taking them at 27 beat out Spencer Brown, but Deion Dawkins did not have a great year by his standards last year. I think he's still a very, I think he's still a good offensive tackle. I, I would hesitate to even say very, I think he's a good, good enough offensive tackle, but the fact that he did have a down year last year is a little concerning and you, you just hope he doesn't start stacking bad years because then that would be a situation where you have to start thinking about, you know, he's 28. That's still not old by any means, but if he is declining, you know, what's the answer at left tackle? Because that is a position you cannot be weak at with Josh Allen. They certainly aren't weak right now. But if Deion Dawkins is slipping, then you have to start thinking about that. Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, um, to Lucas Point, Dewan Jones, probably Antoine Harrison, for sure. Uh, Skaronsky, if you're OK with his arm length, those guys project to right or left side. If they hit, that could be your future left tackle. That's not the case with Darnell Wright. So interesting class. One name I do want to mention because I know, you know, because of our audience, we probably have some Syracuse fans out there. Matthew Bergeron's a guy that has been sneaking into the back end of the first round of some some mocks. I'm not as high on him. 6'5", 318. He was a four-year starter. He played both left and right side, 39 career starts. Um, they also have a zone blocking scheme at Syracuse, which I think the Bills are slowly trying to get into. Very good in the run game, strong anchor in the passing game. Just an average athlete, though. Not great footwork. It's not refined, which for a guy that is a four-year starter, 39 career starts, I'm not as optimistic about him being able to clean that up because that's where you start worrying about muscle memory and habits. And, you know, it's a lot easier to stomach with someone like Paris Johnson, who has one year of starting versus a four-year starter still making those mistakes. And his footwork issues lead to a lot of problems because it can actually shorten the corner for an edge rusher and really lead to a problem. And you you worry about him being on an island in the NFL. So I think he's much more, I'd be much more comfortable with taking him on, on day two, round two or round three. I don't know, Luca, do you have a strong opinion on Matthew Bergeron? And as I spin that question to you, are there any post round one guys you'd like to mention or just anybody we haven't talked about yet as offensive tackles go? Yeah, no, I didn't have him on my seven there that we discussed. The okay. only guy that I believe I'm looking at this. Yeah. The only guy we haven't discussed myself that I still have listed here is Tyler Steen from Alabama. Um, I just, it, it's like, he has the size that you don't hate with tackles, you know, but there's a lot that you need to do with him. You know, he's not going to be a guy that I think you bring in. You want to legitimately compete like, and this is, this is not a guy I look at at pick 27 at all. This is, he is not, he's maybe day two, uh, depends how the board falls even at that, but it's like, he's kind of the one that I looked at. I was like, okay, this is the line. This is where the kind of, this is a guy I'd be okay with understanding if they liked for some reason and day two. And then after that, it's from there dart throws to me. And it's like, cause he has a certain things he, he, you know, there's a little bit of here and there that he's good. And then there's bad play. I don't think his speed is quite up there with anything when it comes to both his hands and feet, but overall, 
at least because of that size, there's maybe things you can do with him that will work out. And there is some sort of floor there where it's not like this guy could be cut by the end of training camp. This guy could be a legitimate guy, at least depth piece wise that you, maybe you can mold over the year or two to then become a starter. Eventually that's, that's really it. Just Tyler Steen real quick out of Bama. I like Steen. I think that's more of somebody that comes in to compete with Questenberry for the third tackle versus somebody to come in necessarily and compete with Spencer Brown. And that's fine. If the bills don't go tackle in the first round, um, we mentioned the cliff <laughs> that they drop off. Steen is certainly a guy that I think is worth taking late. Another guy I like late is Wanya Morris, day three flyer, very good physical traits. Obviously needs to be refined. He's a day three flyer for a, a reason. Uh, a lot of natural power. Um, when he gets his hands on you, he can dominate, but yeah, he just has, he has trouble getting there. But again, day three, uh, lower your expectations, but just somebody to maybe, you know, if, if they are concerned about the Tommy Doyle direction, you know, two years in torn ACL and they want to add another high end athlete to the pipeline to kind of be that guy they're grooming because Tommy Doyle is not working out. I can see someone like Morris or Steen to your point. Um, Steen's very interesting. I, I you know, I, I like that idea a lot. Uh, let's talk about the interior. We spent we spent like 50 minutes on the off. Well, we spent like 30. We talked a little bit beforehand about other stuff. We spent a lot of time on offensive tackle, but that that's a real position that I think that we need to be thinking about on night one and maybe night two of the draft for the Bills. The interior class, Luca, I think this class is interesting from the standpoint of there are some guys in this class that I think are maybe considered the top tier of this class that just are not Bill's fits at all. Um, in general, just summarizing this pick, this, this interior class, what are your thoughts on it? I will say just from the outset, I don't think the Bills are in play for an interior lineman at pick 27. One, I don't think there's a player worth it to pick at pick 27 with the caveat of if Skoranek falls and the view, the bills view him as a guard. So that's two ifs they could absolutely pick him at pick 27 and he would be an upgrade over either guard. They are already starting right now. Otherwise, whether you're talking about Osiris Torrance or John Michael Smith or Joe Titman, I don't know that the bills would be in the market to take somebody at pick 27. They they signed Connor McGovern. They signed David Edwards. They still have Ryan Bates. Mitch Morse, they picked up, you know, they, they did the roster bonus for him. So he's clearly coming back. I think they're in good shape. Uh, this isn't an overly strong, like high-end blue chip class as it is. Do you agree with that statement that I, the Bills aren't necessarily in play at pick 27? You did it again. That last little thing that I was going to say. I I think the reason of there's not that blue chip guy. There's not really someone that is like, hey, this is a guy who I'm not even talking necessarily for massive impact now, but now and future is like, hey, this guy can be someone that could immediately take over for Morse after this season if we needed to and move forward very comfortably or and or the guards, whatever. Like, like there are good interior offensive linemen in this year's draft. There are just not exceptional or really great uh, interior offensive lineman. I think there, there are two guys that are first round worthy, you know, when it comes to Schmitz and Torrance, I think they are first round guys. I just don't think they're first round guys when it comes to the bills. And I don't think they really are eyeing up anything because of reasons. Like you explained, they seem to, 
They're probably feeling comfortable with what they have currently in house at this moment in time. And there's not really anything there then that could um, increase what they have or really uh, escalate what they have at a higher level because this guy just came into that interior offensive line. I just don't see much of an improvement there where it's like, Hey, at 27, we want to take Torrance here because he's just going to elevate everything in that interior offensive line. I don't think that would be the case. I think they just like what they have in house and it's just nothing more they need, can do with what's in this draft. We probably should talk about Torrance for a second, because I think if you're just somebody that kind of casually follows the draft and that is totally cool, we are not judging we are hopefully here to kind of bridge that gap. If you're looking at a list of guard rankings, chances are he's at the very top. And before the Bills went out and signed Connor McGovern, there was a lot of thought that the Bills could take a guard at pick 27. If you're, you're thinking, hey, the best guard is, is Torrance. The Bills need a guard. Why not take Torrance? I get it. The issue with Torrance, like Luca mentioned, it's just not a scheme fit. He's 6'5". He's 347 pounds. And he is an absolute pile mover in the run game. He can absolutely manhandle defensive linemen in the run game. The problem is the bills have already told us what they're looking for in their interior offensive linemen with signing Connor McGovern, with bringing back Ryan Bates, with taking a flyer on Roger Saffold. They want athletes. They want guys with movement skills and for better or for worse, that is the scheme they are trying to build under Aaron Cromer. And someone like Osiris Torrance, who in a phone booth can just dominate anybody, but doesn't have the movement skills the Bills are looking for for their scheme, is just not somebody that they would be interested in, particularly that high in the draft. So that's why, even though you're probably seeing him mocked in a lot of first rounds, he he's not going to be a fit for everybody, and I don't think he's going to be a fit for the Bills. Who is your favorite interior offensive lineman idea for the Bills in this draft, Luca? Ooh, for the Bills, I was going to say, I just or, I, in general, guys. whatever. No, yeah. I mean, so my favorite guy overall, I'm not going to spend tons of time. My favorite guy overall is John Michael Schmitz. I mm-hmm. don't also think he's a Bills fit. That's why I kind of threw me a little bit of a wrench there. Um, he's a great prospect. I think he's just like that classic Big Ten center prototype measurables and things like that. Athletic, smart can be a guy. But then at the same time, there's question marks when it comes to what will translate in the NFL. And then when it comes to the bills, he just, you know, he's not exactly an exceptional athlete. He's just, he gets you with technique and smarts, right? Like he, he just tries to be ahead of you at all times with then his frame and size that he has to then dominate you. So that's just not exactly what the bills look for. The guy, the, the guy I like when it comes to the bills, it's not a first round guy. It's not even probably a second round guy to me. I'm trying to think right now, like where he would fall. I guess he would probably be a second round guy based on all things considered. Um, I like the idea of, I personally like Steve Avila or Avila. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when it comes to steam of Steve Avila, he just can be guard center guard. He can be on the left guard, right guard position. He can be center. He can kind of move around and he plays within that frame. He is a good pass blocker. Um, his, the problem I have with saying him is it's not like he's an exceptional athlete. And we just talked about like, we like that, but I think when it comes to the interior offensive line, his ability to pick up stunts and things like that, and be able to pick up pass blocking on the fly at an exceptional level is something that they would like. They would like someone that is able to, in a quick shift movement or just understanding and pass pro what they need to do off the snap in order to make sure there's a clean pocket there where a stunt might be able to get, 
your slower guard or anything like that, that's enough for something that they would like. And then the versatility of being able to be at left guard, right guard, or even fill in at center. He's someone that I think they would like the idea of some of the things he could bring you. It's just the stay at home factor that with him, you know, and what I mean by that is kind of within that guard area is where he will live. That might be the thing that deters the bills. But at the same time, we're talking about a day two guy. We're not talking about a day one guy. So there's enough of him that I think the bills would like if he were to be there at, uh, I want to say it's 48, correct? Pick 48 on in the second round. He yeah, would be so, someone yeah. that they may like at that spot if he's there. My favorite guy in this draft is Joe Titman, 6'6", 313. Um, I think he's going to be one of those guys that just falls in that sweet spot of probably not worth taking at 27. And I just feel like he's one of those guys that when teams reset their boards going into day two, they're going to be like, oh, wow, he's still there. Let's get up and get him. A 6'6 center can be a little concerning. Actually, a lot of his comp is Mitch Morse as far as size goes, but he's a different player than Morse. He's a fantastic run blocker in space. He was the best run blocker in, or he he was the best interior run blocker in space, according to Brandon Thorne. Um, you can actually build your entire offensive run game around him. That is how much he changes your running game because um, he can pin and pull. He can, he can get out. He has a very long wingspan. You see him dominate smaller players downfield. I think the bills would be drooling over him a little bit. And I think he has the skill set to play guard if you need him to. But even he's a guy that if you get him on day two, somehow, some way, you could even redshirt him, you know, still play Bates and McGovern and then just have him in the hopper ready to go and then move off of Mitch Morse after this year and just get him as the center of the future for this offense to grow with Josh Allen in this wave two of the bills. He's not a natural pass protector yet. Um, he still kind of reacts a little bit late to stunts and you do worry about his height on the inside, get it with leverage. And that's, that's obviously a concern. Um, do you have any thoughts on Titman before we move on to any other prospects? Yeah, I do want to point out, I do have him ranked over Avila, the guy I brought up. I do like everything you said. He's very, very athletic. And there's something about him too, when it comes to his size at six foot six and things like that. And his athleticism that feels like whoever ends up with him, is going to bring him in and really move him around even probably outside of his comfort zone mm -hmm. and see what you can do with him. And like, I imagine him even being a guy like, you know, what the bills did with Bobby Hart last year as like the tight end slash six tackle, whatever you want to call that role. He seems like a guy that would be a lot of fun to do that because you want to get him moving around. You want him to, and mauling people in space, doing whatever you need to do if he's comfortable or if he's able to do something like that because of his athleticism and size and everything like that. There's, there's a fascinating aspect to Tipman that is like, I agree with you 1000% when it comes to the start of the second round and everyone kind of refreshes their board and figures out what's going on. He could be easily a guy that, you know, two, three, four teams are looking at and going, Oh crap, he's still there. Let's trade inside the top 10 try to secure this guy if it costs us a fifth round pick to do so. And, you know, now we have this fun toy for the offensive line that can develop as well as see what we have in camp, see what we have in preseason, put him in a couple uncomfortable spots. And maybe he excels as a sixth, you know, you know, as the big tight end, as the sixth tackle, whatever you want to call it. Or, you know, maybe you do put him in there for certain packages into your offensive line and he just starts, you pull him and just move him into space and do whatever you can do. Like he's a fascinating prospect for sure. 
Yeah, that's a great point about being the sixth offensive lineman. The, I could see the Bills certainly, especially they take somebody higher, you know, getting them on the field that way. Uh, Tittman, Tittman's fascinating. I, I think the one thing is NFL teams could even look at him and say, could he play tackle with his with his height? But he does have shorter arms in less than 33 inches, so maybe that would deter them. But athletes like that don't grow on trees. You mix his height with his ability to move and his athleticism, and I, I think there depend landing spot for him is going to be very important. I I'm a firm believer that his best pro position is going to be center, but you know there's 64 tackles that start in the league every every game day or every week, and there aren't 64 qualified people to play tackle. Teams are desperate for tackles, and you get a player like this in their house. I could see some offensive line coaches wheels spinning, thinking, "Hmm, I wonder." Um, one. Later round guy, maybe even day three, I wanted to mention because he had a really good senior bowl, is Ole Miss Nick Broker. I'm probably pronouncing the name wrong, but um, one of the most athletic offensive linemen at the senior bowl. Um, you, you saw the speed, does not have great functional pr- play strength, is not a mauler, uh, much more of a fit for a zone scheme. But I think he fits the mold of like a poor man's Connor McGovern that the Bills are looking for. You like the movement skills there. I think NFL teams would look at him and think, hey, he's not going to come in and start right away at all. You tuck him away as like a third or fourth guard on your roster. And that's where you can think about, we can we can put him in the NFL weightlifting program, build up the strength a little bit. And then maybe by year two or year three, you've stumbled into somebody that can be a starter on your offensive line. That's just a name to keep tucked away. I think he kind of, he checks a lot of boxes that the Bills like. Are there any non-first round, non-second round sleepers you like at interior? I didn't really have any, unfortunately, for the interior. I, there, there was just no one that really popped to me. Um, I mean, there was... Yeah, I mean, there was McClendon Curtis. It was like, okay, he's 6'6", th- over 320 pounds. Um, I wanted, I was looking it up real quick. Yeah, he had 35-inch arms. Like, there were measurables to him that I was like, okay, yeah. like maybe there's something there. And then it was like, there's a reason he's low on the board and I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest. Like there's, there's good things, measurables. There's certain like pass blocking ratings that are pretty good on him and stuff. But then overall he's fallen way down the board and I I haven't figured it out yet. There's just probably a lot of like, he played at, uh, I'm trying to think it was, I know it's a random school, Chattanooga. I was trying to remember. It was not a big school. That's of course. And I think his footwork was a massive concern and stuff. And things like that. So when it when you talk about interior offensive line, I feel like footwork is equally as important as tackle. Things like it's always important, right? So he has measurables though, things like that. He is like we're talking sixth round. Like mm-hmm. I would imagine he's falling, but I would I would think that the Bills might see a guy like him. As I said, six foot six. Uh, what I he- read here is three twenty four. He has thirty five inch arms. Like there are measurables and stuff that it's like in the sixth round, it's like, see what you got. Like it doesn't hurt to take someone with that size. As you said, size is a skill and just see what you have. Once you bring them in worst case, you have to cut your sixth round pick. It is what it is. Worst case scenario. You get the next version of Luke Tenuta, but I am not mad at the bills for taking a flyer on a tackle late in the draft, because if you hit, it's great. And the bills are not worse for the wear for taking uh, Luke Tenuta. Although we took one look at him in the first preseason <laughs> game and we were like, whoa, whoa. Um, okay. We have talked a lot about big guys that block. And for a lot of us, that's fun. But 
I understand there's probably a segment of our audience that's like, boring. Can we get to the guys that score touchdowns, that catch passes? We're not going to do wide receivers tonight. We already mentioned we're not going to do quarterbacks. We will talk about all the quarterbacks in a future episode uh, when we do our actual first-round mock draft. We go through and pick for all the teams. We will certainly hit on all the quarterbacks in that situation. Luca, do you have a preference with where we go next? Because there's two more positions we want to hit on tonight, tight end and running back. Ooh, giving me the choice. I like this. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and just say running. Uh, yeah, let's go running back. Let's let's do running back. Let's get that out of the way. Let's give the people what they probably want to talk about or hear us talk about. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I will just kick it right back to you. There is one name that everyone wants to hear, and we will go into that. All right, Luca, let's talk about the name that everybody wants to hear. Let me get my notes up. I, I forget except his for me. name. Let me just also preface, except for me. I just don't want to talk about it, but we will. And I know All right. we, we are going to talk about Rashawn Johnson. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to go down to a name. Just to... Okay, running back. <laughs> running back. Okay, let's let's get serious. Running back is not a need for the Bills. Can we agree on that? Like James Cook looked fantastic as a rookie. And Damian Harris is a very strong signing and they complement each other. Well, when you look at how teams in 2023 really try to build their running back room in a lot of ways, it's similar to what you hear described with the wide receiver room is it's almost like a basketball team is you want your power forward. You want your center. You want your, your point guard with a running back room. You want your scat back. You want your pass protector. You want your between the tackles guy. And the Bills really have all of that. Like Damian Harris and James Cook are a great tandem. So I think it stands to reason. And if if the Bills asked my opinion, I would say you don't have to take a running back in this entire class. You're going to add a fourth running back at some point. Just take an undrafted free agent and you are good to go. Uh, we've talked all about the value of running backs. They are replaceable. We saw just last year, Isaiah Pacheco became a very important player the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs as a seventh round pick. And there is just example over example over example of first round running backs not even being as good as second and third round running backs taken after them. I understand the reason that we've all written down on these sheets of paper that say why we don't take the running back. This is the blueprint in 2023 for devaluing the running back. And what I'm telling you, Luca, I'm going to throw it all away. This is actually a um, crock pot recipe for, I probably need this. This is for a <laughs> chicken pot pie. We're going to go ahead and save this. Um, this is not about running back. This is about one player. Yeah. This is about B. John Robinson. I don't care if the bills get a running back in this draft. What I'm telling you is a player like B. John Robinson comes around maybe once every 10 years on the level of a Saquon Barkley better prospect than Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette uh, game changing skills. When you look at things you like about a running back size check contact balance, which is huge for Brandon Bean check explosion, that 10 yard split <laughs> check top end speed. He has enough of it. Trust me. Check <laughs> catching the ball out of the backfield check. There is no weakness to his game. If you want to nitpick, the one thing he really didn't do at Texas is he wasn't their goal line back. And that is because they actually had a really good goal line back who I think will get drafted fairly high in this draft in Rashawn Johnson. So this is a generational talent, in my opinion. It's not about, oh, you don't take a running back at pick 27. 
It's about you're taking a player that legitimately comes into the league with Hall of Fame talent. And that's where Bijan Robinson's conversation starts for me. It's I look at this wide receiver class. We just went over this tackle class. Um, we're going to talk about defense in the coming weeks. There's going to be players at pick 27 that's like, oh, you know, they could be good. Or, you know, we talked about the tackles. Like, here's the path to how they could be good, but there's concerns at pick 27. If by some fluke, Bijan Robinson is there at pick 27 for the Bills, I absolutely think they should consider taking him because he's an instant game changer to your offense. He it adds explosion to your offense. He adds something to this team that they haven't had. And I understand I just went over James Cook, Damian Harris, Naheem Hines. I like those guys. None of those guys can hold a candle to what B. John Robinson can do. And I'm a big James Cook guy. You guys know I was all over Twitter on Damian Harris. This is a different conversation. This is a different level. This is a different ball game. You put this kid on the bills and you just wish defensive coordinators the best of luck. I'm telling you all, this is not Brees Hall. This is not Travis Etienne. This is not Najee Harris. This is not, oh, this is a really good running back. But next year, if we don't get this guy, there'll probably be another guy like this. No, you might wait 10 years before you see a guy like this. So let's not just throw the conversation away because he's a running back. Let's at least talk about the fact that this might be positional value aside, the best player in the draft, and you could get him at pick 27. And I think that a real conversation needs to happen, Luca, of if he's there for the Bills at pick 27, understanding they have needs at offensive tackle, wide receiver, uh, linebacker, if you want to go that route, defensive tackle, there may not be a better pick than Bijan Robinson. And I know your first thought is he's not going to be there. And I get that. But if he's there, he's a running back, running backs fall. What are you thinking at that point when the bills are on the clock? I hate you for not letting me have the moment and what I had already scripted up in my head for this moment to be able to start with that, because you have just put me in the spot where I have to answer this. Mm -hmm. Like it is at pick 27 because you're absolutely right. Just first and foremost, it will not happen. I would be willing to bet anyone. And I mean, anyone find me on Twitter at Luca M underscore six at bills, chat pod at Sabres chat pod, DM me, do whatever you want. You want to place a wager on this? I will happily, happily do it. Kind of odd you given. Uh, I'll no straight up. We're just doing yes, no, just yes, no. Okay. no, 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 yes, no. You want to wager money on if BJ, uh, if he's going to be there at 27, yes or no. And I will be on no all day long, whatever you want to do, regardless. If he is there at 27, I'm all in. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Welcome to yes. the train. I've been on the train. I want to now take the opportunity to be like, there has never been a moment that I haven't been in that reality. It's just, I have said on our live show, I've said all the time, I am not letting myself mentally mm -hmm. even think and entertain the idea that B. John Robinson will be there for the bills to take and will be a Buffalo bill. Because if he is there at 27, Brandon Bean better be writing on that damn card or however they do it now if they do use technology. Pretty sure they still write on a card. Write on that card as fast as he can, hand it in, and make it happen. That is 
undoubtedly the best pick they could possibly make at 27 if it's real. 100%. He is an absolute generational talent, game changer right out the gate, and the happiest person to see that pick happen would be Josh Patrick Allen. Undoubtedly. Like, it would be unbelievable to see a B. John Robinson in this offense not even and i'm not saying that just because oh the run game he could provide it's just you are now adding a is work with me here you're adding a digs like level talent in the backfield now for your offense and it's like holy crap how do you manage this now if you're a defense it just opens up an incredible world for this offense and he is everything and some if you can get him at 27. Now, let me go into what I wanted to say, Josh. This world will never happen. This is not real. Stop living in this world if you are listening to this and think this is a, re, a real possible chance that B. John Robinson's there at 27. It cannot happen. I hate the idea of B. John Robinson because it is in, unbelievably improbable that he will be there at 27. And what you will need to do to get B. John Robinson is essentially sell the draft house in order to get him. That is the reality for the bills. And that should not happen, cannot happen. And I will accept no other answer to that. I think it's ridiculous to think if you are out there saying that the bills should trade up to the top 15 or whatever's needed to get Bijan Robinson, you are out of your depth. You need to get that out of your head. That is just an injustice to this team and organization if Bean were to do something like that, you are selling the house for Bijan Robinson, and that is reckless. You cannot do that. There is just other things that need to happen. Now, let me reel it back in real quick, just to wrap this up. If he is there at 27, yes, Josh, love the idea. I think Bijan Robinson is phenomenal. He is a generational talent. It's like he is Saquon Barkley-like-esque, similar kind of hype. And it's justified. It's absolutely worth there. He is better than a Leonard Fournette coming out of college. He is better than all these other round one running backs that you also listed off. He is a legitimate, legitimate playmaker, dynamic threat. And I would love it if he was there at 27. And I will happily pay any bet that people are going out there. But just again, expect to be paying me if you want to bet me on this because it ain't happening at 27. So we are aligned. This is not a, you don't take a running back in the first round conversation because I think for the most part, you and I, I mean, we got on the Brees Hall train and again, this is pick 27. This isn't pick two. I don't think I would pick B. John Robinson at the second pick of the draft. Like the giants did with Saquon Barkley. You said something that's very interesting. The digs like weapon, because I'm thinking in my head, the bills have a top five offense in the NFL. And I'm going to include offensive linemen in this. You draft Bijan Robinson, day one, he is your third best player on offense. Yes. And the first two are all pros. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how close number four is. Like, that's that's the truth. I mean, you want to talk about Dawkins, you want to talk about Knox, you want to talk about Gabe Davis. Uh, I think Bijan Robinson is better at what he does by quite a bit than those guys are who are all pretty good. Different varieties of pretty good. Mitch Morse. Don't want to forget Mitch Morse. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's where the conversation needs to be is 
you, the Bills are not in the market for a running back. If they enter the the season, and I anticipate they will enter the season with this running back group, as is adding a sixth, seventh undrafted free agent to the mix. Maybe it's bringing back Taiwan Jones. This is the group, and they are just fine as is. But if this Hall of Fame level talent is sitting there at pick twenty seven, and you're debating, oh, we should take maybe the third best wide receiver on our board because we have a need for wide receiver. And this is a kind of a eh, wide receiver class or this hall of fame talent running back. I think you're overthinking it. You don't trade up for him. That's a good point by Luke. I will say like, if you love him, if you have, if you have a top 10 pick top five grade on him and he falls to like pick 24 and you're on the phone and it's like, Hey, send us your fifth round pick and you can get up here. Yeah, I'll, I'll get him. I'll, fine. Take my fifth round pick to Lucas point. I'm not sending a day two pick with my one to go get a running back. The bills do have enough holes to fill that I'll just sit tight, take a tackle, take a wide receiver and be good to go. But you know, if we're talking sweetening the pot with a fifth, I could be talked into that pretty <laughs> easily for five years of B. John Robinson. And I know it's like, you're not going to resign him in six years. Great. Five years of B. John Robinson on a rookie deal. Other than that, I don't think the bills are going to be in play for a running back, especially in the first round. And I think the reason is, Luca, a lot of the top running backs not named Bijan Robinson, while there are some really good backs in this draft, are kind of redundant to the skills that James Cook already has. And the first guy I think of is Jameer Gibbs. And I know it was somebody on ESPN, Michael Lombardi, not Michael Lombardi, uh, Tannenbaum maybe, the old Jets GM, mocked. Jameer Gibbs to the Bills and Dan Orlovsky just like lost his shit. He's like, the Bills are not taking Jameer Gibbs. I love Jameer Gibbs. You put me in a world where the Bills don't have James Cook and I could be talked into Gibbs at pick 27. Like if the Bills were just sitting here with Damian Harris and nobody else, I could be talked into that. I love him as a player. Super high explosive traits. Great catcher out of the backfield. He's kind of like Alvin Kamara light, but also has more burst than Kamara. But I think he is that receiving scat back compliment to a more power back. And the bills already have that in James cook. He's probably a better player than James cook, but not by enough that it's worth taking at pick 27. And as we go down the list of running backs in this draft, not named B John Robinson, that is my problem with a lot of these guys who in a world where we don't have James cook, I would be super excited about their speed and their explosion and their ability to impact the passing game. But we already got that guy in cook. We already have his direct backup in Naheem Hines. And I'm not sure what those skills really add to this offense. Yeah, it's it's a little bit funny to me that finally Singletary's contract ends, you know, ends. He moves on. He's in Houston now. We have Cook. We want to see what happens with Cook. We sign Harris, which is awesome. As you mentioned, Hines is kind of your backup plug and play for the Cook role. You know, it's a cook light kind of on a behind him there because James Cook can actually be a runner as well, more so than I think Hines can be. But regardless, that's kind of your viewed as your cook backup. So you'd kind of want your Harris backup or just your your next Singletary. And now you're staring at a draft that that guy doesn't exist. There's no, you know, one cut back, you know, runner, just traditional runner, we'll call it in this draft, at least in that, you know, first, second, third round, obviously outside of a B. John Robinson, but B. John Robinson's one of one. He is just mm -hmm. E. John. 
and then there's everyone else. Bijan, I just want to call him Booby Miles. Like, I just want to be like, hey, Booby Miles. Like, because that's what Bijan Robinson is starting to be like. Like, I just he, like saying Booby. So, like, Booby yeah. Dixon. Right. Yeah. But like, it's, you know, Friday Night Lights movie, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Booby Miles and stuff. And it's just like the hype and everything. And it's, you're buying into it. Hopefully, <laughs> what happens to Booby doesn't happen to Bijan, but it just seems to fit so much. Regardless, back to this. Yeah. It's a bunch of James Cook like, production kind of guys you know you you obviously mentioned gibbs there's a chain i just wanted to say a chain before you could uh a chain another kind of redundant like cook kind of guy there's there's other pass catchers and other speedy guys you know spears out of Tulane. the guy i kind of like but again very redundant with cook so it's it's really easy to understand if the bills are just not going to pick one of these guys with any meaningful kind of pick and i'm talking you know first second third or maybe even fourth just because they don't see the value in it due to already having two guys on the roster that fill that cook role including cook himself jameer gibbs to me is kind of like that Brees hall now i'm not talking stylistically i'm talking like level of prospect he's like that Brees hall he's like that travis etn where he's very good. He's very tempting, but you see guys on that level, different variety, but on that level every year in the draft and the bills just don't necessarily have a need for that kind of running back. They took their guy last year and cook. I think Jameer Gibbs reminds me a lot of Dalvin cook, who I think is better than James cook, at least prime Dalvin cook. But, um, that's where the B John Robinson is just like you mentioned it. One of one, he, he is not ETN and hall. He is a, a notch above. Um, there are some guys, though, I do like late, and I think that if the Bills, you know, if it gets to be fifth or sixth round and they happen to still be there because I do think that the running backs that have speed tend to go a little higher in these drafts and someone like Roshan Johnson, who also played at Texas, man, they had some talent on the Texas backfield. 6'2", 223, this is the kind of compliment that I would like uh, for Cook as kind of an understudy to Damian Harris, and I think he could make an impact year one. Very good tackle breaker, very high end contact balance. What I like about him also is playing second fiddle to Bijan Robinson. There's not a lot of wear and tear on him. He, he had less than 100 carries last year. Uh, he does run a little high. He's not a great pass catcher. He is a fantastic blocker, Luca. And he is so good at blocking that it's not just pass pro, but you saw plays out there where he was the lead blocker for Bijan Robinson. So you start projecting into the future and you take Roshan Johnson, say in the fifth or sixth round, and then a year or two goes by and he develops into that one B to James cook. And then we always talk about like, Oh, let's get cook and Hines on the field at the same time. And that sounds great in theory. And then you're like, well, neither one of them are blocking. So the defense doesn't really have to respect that. Roshan Johnson can legitimately be your running back that dots the eye, but he can also be a lead back that blocks for cook but he can also, you know, you hope at 6'2", 223, good speed, become somewhat of a weapon in the passing game. I get excited by those possibilities. And I think on day three, you could do a lot worse than that if he happens to be there. Yeah, Roshan's a great kind of, you're you're adding a different style as you've brought up here. You're just adding something different. You're adding a different flavor to the offense in the backfield just to change things up. If, if the Cook-Hind stuff isn't working, you have Harris. If then Harris isn't working, 
Roshan is not Harris. Like Roshan is a bigger, more brutal back, as you pointed out, where it's like, maybe we just need to punch him in the mouth over and over again to, you know, back him off a little bit and then bring cook back in to hit him with a little bit of a flash, whatever it is. I, I like that idea. I'm just going to throw in my dart throw because I, I just want to say his name and I want to get him in there. He's going to be a late guy, possibly drafted late in the draft or be a, a very, very high priority on drafted free agent deuce vaughn i'm all about it man give me deuce vaughn i would love love deuce vaughn just because he is exciting as all hell he is fun 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 and he's just uh he is he is the tiniest dog that there is and it's just he screams darren sproles to me just screams it that is his ceiling is it because he's also another little guy yes Mm -hmm. but screw it if you could add Darren Sproles to this offense, I think we'd all be prime Darren Sproles, of course. But if you could added prime Darren Sproles to this offense, I think oh, we'd yeah. all be very, very excited. So he's a great runner. Like he's an elite receiver out of the backfield, but he is a great runner as well. Cause if you can actually give him a hole or give him space to run, he's going to explode through that as big or small as he is. He is a dog on top of it. I just love everything about him. I'm all about it. I think the cover one guys as well, just to give them a little bit of props here. They're all over Deuce Vaughn, but I love Deuce Vaughn too. Like I Deuce Vaughn was single-handedly the reason I'd watch Kansas state games at 12 o'clock whenever it would happen on Saturdays, because it's like, I wanted to watch him so, so much. And I was like, man, I just would love to see him in a bills uniform. He's just seems like so much fun. We've been doing this podcast together long enough that I think, you know, now when I get this little smirk on my face, it's because I'm in my head battling of, should I say the joke that just popped into my head? (laughs) I'm going to, because I have no filter, but I feel like you just want offensive coordinators to drop a deuce on the defense. Hell yeah. And that's, that's what you want to go with. (laughs) One other name I'd like to mention that I do know you're high on. You probably, you probably think that he's going to go too high in this draft to really mention for where we think the bills are going to take a non Bijan running back. Chardonnay I think he fits the stylistic of what we would want and he he would have to fall like he'd have to have a really bad draft night where teams just don't love his speed but I know you're high on him I want to give you a chance to speak about him because I think if if for whatever we saw Michael Carter go into day three it happens to running backs all the time he's the kind of guy I think in Chardonnay where if he falls out of the first three rounds I might change my opinion a little bit and say hey Bills I don't mind if you take a running back in round four Absolutely. No, I, I like him a lot. He was always Charbonnet was a guy, you know, being that I, I watch a lot of PAC 12 football in my life. It's the unfortunate life of being an Arizona state, you know, guy, but he was always a problem. He he's crafty. Like that's the kind of the thing that comes back with me. Like he's, he's a great receiver. He's got the size and everything like that. Like you said, I wouldn't expect him to be there for where mm-hmm. I think the bills would want to take him. I do believe the bills would view him as like a guy they would take and, you know, day four or day four round four. Um, I think that's, that's really, they would kind of feel, but if he was there, I think the bills would definitely want someone like him in there. He just adds a different style, a little bit in the sense of he's not going to overwhelm you with speed. But like I said, he's very crafty. He's shifty. He makes people miss a lot more than you would think for someone with his athleticism and like he's a reliable receiver as well. He's, he's a fun weapon to have in the backfield, out of the backfield, and can create plays out of nothing, not due to world-class speed necessarily, but because he plays faster than he really feels 
and is able to create space and make people miss due to a great understanding of where he is, where a defender is, and what he needs to do to shake them off or whatever it may be. I think he's a very underrated player in my opinion, but at the same time, it's I don't think he would be a guy that would be there for the Bills later. But if he is, I would love to see him as a Bill. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 6'1", 222. I think he's the the uh, very good thunder to the James Cook yeah. Lightning, but like you mentioned, like it's not just the fact that he's big, like he's a polished running back. So, I think it's I think he's somebody that'll get his name called on day 2 and you know, I think if you're in a dynasty fantasy football league, he's somebody that should be on your radar because there's a good chance that if at worst he's probably going to be the red zone back uh, for whatever team takes him. Let's move on to tight ends, Luca. Um I, this is this is a fun fun tight end class. What do you think the need currently is for the Bills at tight end? They obviously have Dawson Knox. Last offseason, they got you and I excited at least a little bit when they picked up O.J. Howard. We started thinking about 12 personnel. And then, you know, Quentin Morris had some moments last year. I think he's a serviceable tight end, too. Tommy Sweeney's obviously gone. I think if the Bills went tight end early in this draft, they would certainly signal that they're going to go to more two tight end sets. Or maybe there's some tight ends we're going to talk about tonight that could be like, not not Mike Gusecki, where they're all they do is run routes, but more like hybrid tight end wide receivers where, you know, maybe like a Dalton Kincaid that we'll get into where he, he's a tight end, but really he's like just as good as a wide receiver running routes. What do you think the Bills need right now is a tight end? Do you think it's pressing or do you think it's more luxury? I think it's right in between there. I, I think so that you have Knox and Knox is a really good. There's obviously the rapport with Allen. He's, he's great for this offense. I, I don't look as not at Knox as a great tight end overall when it comes to the landscape of the league, but he's great for this offense. He has a great rapport with Allen. He understands the offense very well. He is of course the, the number one in this. And I do think Morris was okay enough that the bills would see it as, Hey, we have guys here that can be productive for us and do things that we can hopefully want out of that position. But at the same time, there are few, a few guys in this draft, as you pointed out, Kincaid, another, of course, Meyer, there's also Darnell Washington, and we'll get into them further here. They kind of tease you and it's like, but we could have this guy in there and that could really expand what you could do with the tight end position or elevate the tight end position. And they are potential changers to the position and this offense overall, where it's like, I can totally understand if they're looking at those guys and seeing something different and understanding that it could really make the position a lot better for this team and the offense moving forward that they really would like the idea of adding one of these kinds of guys if they're there at the place they would like to take them. And I just kind of add that there because it's like, I don't know if they necessarily, we don't know if they value that at pick 27 necessarily, but I can understand if they're flirting with the idea of me, you know, drafting an impact guy for tight end, because it's a little bit more of they're comfortable with what they have. I just don't think it's a dire need for this team. Not, not at all. I don't know if there's a Travis Kel. I mean, Travis Kelsey's don't grow on trees. That's so unfair to say it that way, but I feel like this tight end class is maybe being slept on a little bit. I feel like five years from now, we're going to look back on this tight end class and there might be legitimately five, six, seven guys from this class who are productive starters for their teams. Um, so I know you have a favorite. We can get into him. Uh, who is your favorite in this class? And let's start talking about him. Hell yeah. My favorite is Michael Meyer out of Notre Dame. I love everything about him. I, I think his ceiling is the highest out of these tight ends. And I know we disagree about this a little mm -hmm. bit, but 
yeah, he's he's my guy. I mean, he got he got the nickname as a freshman at Notre Dame as Baby Gronk, and I think that's part of where your issue with him is, and I fully understand that. He is not as physically dominating as Gronkowski is, or was, I should say. But at the same time, it's just when you watch him play and watch him have the ability to dominate games at times, and it's for Notre Dame on the big stage when the team needs it. And like this past season, Notre Dame just had nothing outside of him, and yet he was still able to find production a lot of the times. That to me is just a signifier of a baller, of a dog, of a guy who is just a gamer. He is he is going to make things happen for you however you need him. And he's also a very good blocker in himself. He has the size to be a very good blocker. And honestly, if you just want him to be more physically imposing, you just got to bulk him up a little bit. That's all you need to do because he has a lot of the other things you need when it comes to the height and just range of where he is, you know, body control and receiving style things. It's already there. It's all kind of a package. He can run the short intermediate routes. He can hit you deep. He can do a lot of different things. I just think the ceiling for Meyer out of all these tight ends, it's it's not because the other guys are lesser. It's just he is so much greater than them, in my humble opinion, that, yeah, he's my favorite in this draft class for sure. I like Meyer a lot. I think... I think he's the kind of player that I don't know where his bust factor is because he does everything very well. I don't know that he does anything great. Um, Well, no contested catches. He's great. Like when the, when the ball's in the air, he makes a play for his quarterback. I had a stat here. Where is it at? He was 17 of 26 on pulling in contested catches which i know 17 of 26 is like whoa but think about like that's a situation where he's jumping up with somebody else to come down with the ball that is a josh allen day two of training camp realizes i can throw him a go get it ball and he's going to come down with it you gain that quarterback's trust and you're going to start seeing more volume my issue with him you hit on it look he's not he's not an a plus athlete he's he's a good athlete he's 75th percentile for tight ends all time i i think he doesn't necessarily have that elite change of direction, but the way he gets open, the way he wins in his routes, um, you know, a Bills comparison, it's kind of like Cole Beasley. He understands what defenses are trying to do. He's going to be a complete pain in the ass to try to cover. I don't think what he did at Notre Dame being the focal point of your offense is sustainable in the NFL. I don't think his athleticism warrants that. If you drop him in an offense that has Stefan Diggs, and Gabe Davis, and then right now Dawson Knox, obviously, and a great quarterback, and you you're, you can't pay all the attention to the tight end, he is going to get open almost every play. He understands what coverages are doing. He's exactly that tight end that you talk about being the quarterback's best friend where they're going to read the play the same, and that's where the Cole Beasley comparison comes in. I like a lot of it. Um, To me, and this, I hate to make this sound like an insult, he, he reminds me of Jason Witten, and I don't, that shouldn't be insulting to anybody because Jason Witten is probably going to be in the Cowboys ring of honor. And we know how many great players have played for that franchise. I just think that when you're reading about draft prospects and you start visualizing daydreaming about them playing on your team, you're thinking about the tight end who is a six, six stallion that can run four, four down the seam and and make linebackers pay. And that's just not his game. There's not a lot of those guys out there, but you talk about somebody that he's a willing blocker. He's an angry blocker. He's going to do everything you ask him to do. He's going to do it well. He's a good enough athlete. Yeah, I have no problem with him being the top tight end 
I think you're right. I think the baby Gronk thing is what got me because when I heard that and then I went to watch him, I was like, no, I, I don't even see Gronk. I, I see a guy, though, that absolutely is going to have a long career in the NFL. And I think he's going to be a starting tight end, like the number one tight end on a team for a while. And I think if if you were talking about him being in that 12 personnel with Knox, and I don't think that the Bills are going to take Meyer. I think he's going to go in the first round, and I don't think they're probably going to take him. But just in visual visualizing him there, I, I mean, that's perfect. He can block better than Knox. I think he's probably better overall than Knox, just in my opinion. Knox is more athletic, but the nuances of the position, I, I like the player quite a bit. I just, I, I stopped short of the ba- the baby Gronk thing. You're right. It was a hangup for me because I was like, well, Gronk was just such a dominant force out there. And this guy is just so technically sound that it just, that didn't jive for me. Yeah. I, I think the part that I kind of lean into is it, it's definitely the Gronk thing can put people off, but at the same time, being that I had to watch Gronk in college a lot too, <laughs> man, a lot of Pac-12 football talk here. But being that I had to watch Gronkowski at the university that I will not name on air and ever say out loud publicly, um, destroy me in games. It did at times though feel like Gronk was definitely more physically imposing when it comes to visuals um, than uh, Meyer was. But I felt like how they took over games at times were very similar and it's just sneaky at times because you forget about them. And then all of a sudden your quarterback just throws, like you said, that 50, 50 ball and they're coming down with it every time. And it's just frustrating when you play guys like that because they're, they're outsmarting you as you, I think the Cole Beasley thing, a very underrated, underrated thing to say about him. It's just, they're smarter than you with what you're calling on defense. They're going to find your hole, find your issue and then beat you on that, you know, jump ball for it. It's just, there's no defense for that. You can't do anything for something like that. So if you can bring a guy like that into this offense, I just think it increases something more than the other tight ends. That would be why I have him as my number one tight end. I think Kincaid's a great guy and we'll get into that in a second and stuff, I'm sure. But I just feel like Meyer is someone that could frustrate you a lot more and be someone that if you need to kind of lean on a little bit because Diggs is being doubled and Knox is just not figuring it out for whatever reason, other things. And you all of a sudden you have this, I just feel like Meyer can take over a game more so than anyone else just by, it doesn't matter who's lined up against him. It doesn't matter if they're putting a faster safety or a bigger linebacker. He just finds a way to take over. However, he can. We talk about third and Cole all the time. And the Bills really lacked that last year, how in, in 2020 and 2021, when there was chaos and the offense was struggling and they needed some momentum going, it was, let's just find Cole Beasley for a first down and reset. I think Meyer can be that for your offense, plus much more as a tight end. I have no problem with him being the number one tight end. I'll be honest with you, Luca. I still haven't d- decided who my number one tight end in this class is, and it's not because I haven't researched it. It's because they're just all so different. And it really comes down to what you want out of the position because the next guy I want to talk about, Darnell Washington, speaking of different, this guy is an absolute freakazoid of an athlete. Let me make sure I get his measurables right here. He is 6'7", 270 pounds. You could legitimately add 20 pounds to his frame. He could be an an offensive tackle. He's going to come into the league already one of the two or three best blocking tight ends in the entire sport. That's how good he is. He is strong enough to hold up against defensive ends in college. 
And he runs, I believe he ran a four, six which at his size is just unbelievable. And I think because of his measurables, because of his size, because of the mismatches he can create, he's somebody that could see his name called on night one of the draft, but it's not refined. He, he doesn't as, as, as big as he is as athletic as he is. I saw this stat earlier. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, he, he doesn't get downfield with his catches. I, I want to make sure I get this right. Okay. He had three catches in his career of 20 yards or more in three seasons. That's not good. So all of his catches are under 20 yards. Also for being as big as he is in his career, he only has 14 missed tackles forced. That's less than than Kincaid, who we're going to talk about here in a bit, had just last season. That's less than Michael Meyer had just this last season. So there, for all the good, for all the, the dream about like what he could be, this is where it's like, do you want the guy in Meyer who you just slot in, you know what he's going to be, Mr. Consistency, and I don't want to shortchange what his ceiling could be. I think he could, he could be a very good pro. Or do you want to dream about what Darnell Washington could be knowing that he still has to work on so much of the passing game. But Luca, what he brings out of the box to your running game is going to be intriguing for a lot of run heavy teams that maybe don't include the bills. He, I just want to get this out of the way. He is just like Leonard Pope to it. He, he is just everything that Leonard Pope is. And yeah, he, he can add an incredible thing that this offense needs. And that's just freakish height and size and ability at a receiving position. And I say receiving, obviously, because he's a tight end, he will be an eligible receiver. Um, yet he is a sixth offensive lineman, as you said, because he's uh, a couple KFB KFC biscuits away from being just that. So he's an intriguing prospect, but it's like everything about him to me just screams, Please just don't be Leonard Pope. And on the fly, I'm just real quick comparing their like collegiate stats. But I want to say they're extremely similar. As you said, Darnell Washington, or did I just say Washington? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. Uh, Darnell Washington has 65 career receptions, as you said. Leonard Pope had, I believe, 45. Yes, 45. And yet they came in with the expectations of being a legitimate receiving threat. And then all of a sudden it was in 2007, tracking my Cardinals records here. He had like five receiving touchdowns as a red zone target. Everything seemed good. And then he followed that up with nine receptions total and was waived the following offseason because it was realized that at his size, he just couldn't figure out how to be a reliable weapon. And all he was was an oversized tight end that could be utilized as a blocker, but that's just your limitation at that point. And it's not really worth the roster spot because of, unfortunately, you're limited in what you can produce, provide the team. That said, it's really, really hard to like look at him and just not be fascinated about the idea and what he could provide just because on top of it all, I think the key, the biggest thing about him is he is six foot seven. He is massive. And yet he did run that four, six which by the way, Leonard Pope also ran a four, six but regardless four, six it's just like the measurables and the, and the things you see about him, the metrics you're like, Oh my good God, this guy could revolutionize that position for us and be an unbelievable talent. It's just the caution is we've seen someone, ironically enough, also went to Georgia, but someone else with similar measurables and whatnot, just not be able to figure it out himself. So that to me is kind of 
the one thing you, I feel like a lot of history repeats itself all the time. And that's what I feel like the one thing caution. That's the one thing that people are going to be cautious with, with him. He doesn't have anything to tell you otherwise. So history has shown that someone of his measurables hadn't been able to figure it out. Can this guy be able to figure it out? They're two different people. Obviously different things can happen, but that's where I feel like the most cautious thing about him is, but yeah, the, the ceiling of him and the, what could possibly it's, it's drool worthy. I mean, it's six foot seven guy running four, six that can also maul linebackers. <laughs> like what, what a fascinating thing to see on a Sunday. Well, and we all know how many times last season, did you see the bills bring in Bobby Hart as their sixth offensive lineman as a, basically a backup tight end for the blocking purposes with the one wide receiver formation, they run out of it. And now you're like, okay, you put Darnell Washington in that spot. You get the same blocking, if not better than Bobby Hart. But then you have six, eight, four, six potentially running down the seam or matching up against linebackers. And it's drool worthy, but you have to balance. Do you want to spend the 27th pick in the draft in what could be a gimmick or a toy or a lotto scratch off ticket of if we can refine his route running and improve his change of direction skills? And, and improve his hands and all this, maybe you're onto something. I think the, the negative outweighs the positive. I'm super intrigued to track his career. This could absolutely be the kind of player you look back on three years from now and think, okay, the NFL really overthought it. Sometimes the big, strong, fast guy is the right answer. Like we don't always have to overthink these things. Uh, but I think there's enough reason not to be overly excited about using a first round pick on him. If you're looking for a tight end as the bills, I think he is probably going to go in the first round though, because those are some, some scary good traits. All right, let's talk about Kincaid. Um, I like him. I need to get my notes up here because I had some good stats on him as well. I don't know why I keep pulling down my notes here. All right. Dalton Kincaid, six, three and a half, uh, two forty-six. a little bit of a smaller tight end. But what I love about him is he has, essentially a wide receiver level route tree. There was one play where he actually ran an over route as a tight end. You just don't see that very much. He attacks the ball in traffic. Um, I, I think he's much more of a move H back type tight end where you can move him all over the formation. I don't know that he's necessarily going to live in line as a blocker. He's a, he's a willing blocker, but I, I think he's the kind of player you're seeing a lot of this formation now where to the short side of the field, teams are lining up um, a tight end as a solo wide receiver on the short side. Then they're putting a bunch on the other side that the chiefs live in that formation. They, they loved it when, especially when they had Hill and Kelsey, I think he could be somebody that does that. Um, but there are some things not to like about him. He he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's, he's a good athlete, but he's not a great athlete. He wins with his technique and his route running. And if you're an ageist, He's going to be 24 years old in October, and that's not old by any means, but for a position like tight end that doesn't necessarily age as gracefully as other positions because of the, the wear and tear they take, do you necessarily want to spend a, a first-round pick on a guy that's already 24 years old? Uh, Luca, we know he's not your top tight end, but where do you where do you fall on Dalton Kincaid? I think he's an absolute elite pass catcher, and I like a lot. It's kind of flip what you kind of feel like with Meyer, obviously for different reasons, but it's kind of where I'm at with Kincaid. It's like, 
I hear everything everyone says, and I also agree. He's an elite pass catcher, an unbelievable weapon at the tight end position. It's just to me, like Kincaid to me, to an offense is just going to be, you know, if I'm a defensive coordinator, if I'm, a, I'm someone with a defensive mind and I'm looking at Kincaid, I see him on the field. There is no scenario that I think you are in your rightful mind to have him block. So immediately I feel like you're tipping your hand in a way because now I know what one of those people are doing on your side of the field. I don't think he is the kind of guy unless someone really wants to bulk him up and change him in his ways, which I don't think you should do either. Like if someone's as good as he is as a pass catcher and stuff like that, he, like I said, elite, you don't change him for whatever reason. Like you just let him be very, very good at what he is good at. I, I just, I don't think that, it's he's not someone that I want to or I'm interested in at pick 27 to bring in because there's a certain specialty to him. There's a certain part about him where, like, like I said, with Leonard Pope and, you know, Darnell Washington, where you get worried that they might actually not be a good pass catcher. So now you're limiting what they can do and provide you and just being a blocker. It's kind of the opposite with Kincaid. It's like now you're limiting yourself. This guy's going to be a receiver almost all the time. And it's like, if you are having a block, he could become a legitimate liability at the tight end position. So now you need to figure out how you disguise his inability to block in certain situations or just at be, at least be able to block in his own right at a good enough level. I should say it's like, it's not like he's going to be able to just not touch a guy at all. Um, that's kind of where I hold up on him. It's like, I get the athletic grade. I get how good of a pass catcher is. It's like, you are just limiting yourself when he is on the field a little bit. And I don't like that idea when it comes to the first round, there are other teams that absolutely, it makes a lot more sense to take a Kincaid. I mean, when, it, when I look at like the Bengals, then it makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, oh, they yeah. can use someone like him for their offense a lot more in my opinion than the bills. And I say that because it's like Kincaid should be there, but then it's like we have Knox who can at least provide that style uh, a little bit. It's not to the level of Kincaid, but at least be a receiving weapon for a Josh Allen that Allen already trusts. It's like I want something different there, at least when it comes to like a Meyer or a Darnell Washington, where it's like they will be a physical force more so in the blocking game where you have to respect that more so. And then also they can hopefully provide that receiving game opposite of Knox. Like that's kind of where I'm at with Kincaid. It's, it's just an unfortunate situation because he is, he's an incredible pass catcher. It's just, I don't see how it works in Buffalo. I don't like the fit that much. I think for it to work in Buffalo, you'd almost have to be viewing him as a wide receiver. And I think he's not quite Mike Gusecki, but you maybe look at this wide receiver class if you're the Bills and maybe if you're underwhelmed by it and you're just like, hey, here's a 6'3 guy that runs routes like a receiver. He he can be a weapon in the passing game. We'll view him as a receiver. I just had thoughts of when you mentioned the Bengals that like that would be the perfect landing spot for Michael yeah. Meyer because yeah. the attention you have to give to Higgins and Chase and Boyd and Meyer just working in the middle of the field like that is his like if he's not the one if he's the two the three or the fourth target oh my gosh like that that's where he's going to be a pain in the ass and he could catch 60 balls a year just because you can't pay him enough attention for as good as he is at finding the zone any other tight ends you want to mention here I know, know there's a few other ones that kind of get thrown in that first or second round mix here. We, we mentioned Kincaid. We mentioned Meyer. We mentioned 
Washington. I'll throw one more at you here. Tucker Craft, San Diego State. He moves very well. Very, very good athlete. Uh, but for whatever reason, San Diego State really only lined him up in line, even though I think he has the athleticism to play on the boundary. He was very dominant at a lower level in college. So you do kind of wonder about like, how is that going to translate to the NFL? Is there already tight end tends to be one of the slower learning curves in the NFL because they have to understand blocking and receiving. And you just, it usually takes tight ends a little bit longer to come along. And now you're talking about small school projection. There could be some concerns there. He does have a higher drop rate than you'd like. It's 10.7%, but I think there's enough here with his athleticism that if you got him in, say, like the third or fourth round, you could be excited about. There's a sprinkle, I think, of maybe Dallas Goddard there. Maybe not quite the hands, obviously, the receiver. But I don't know. Is that somebody that's on your radar? And if not, is there anybody else you'd like to mention in the tight end group? Tucker Craft's okay to me. I just feel like, so for instance, we talked about three tight ends initially and stuff when we talked about Meyer, Darnell Washington, and Kincaid. And I feel like tight end is a similar position in this draft just in my humble opinion, that is similar to the tackle position where it's like you have these guys that you're willing to take in the first round or, you know, second round, maybe depending on the person. Um, But then after that, it really falls off. There's a massive gap to me. And that's where I'm at with tight end. Like I understand if you might like a Luke Musgrave or Tucker craft or stuff like that. Musgrave. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I get that. Like I I'm with you, but at the same time, I'm not, it's like, I, I like Musgrave and everything. I just think where you have to pick him, and stuff like that. I'm yeah. not with that life. Like I would much rather just sixth round, take a Will Mallory, a guy who has shown in the red zone area. He's got quick feet, things like that. He can move the chains. He's got that ability and you're taking him in the sixth or seventh round, or maybe even as an undrafted free agent, even like that's who I'd rather take at that point in time than spend the second round pick to take a Musgrave because I feel like the difference between Musgrave and Mallory in this team and this offense right now is extremely minimal. Whereas they're not game changing potentially like a Kincaid Darnell Washington or Michael Meyer. So that's kind of where I'm at with this tight end class. Are you, you might be too young to remember him. I'm thinking you do that. You remember Matt Jones, the former Arkansas quarterback who got drafted in the first round by Jacksonville to be a wide receiver. He was drafted at like Reggie Williams. And then they took Matt Jones. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah you know yes, what I'm talking yes, about? Yes. 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 The, where I'm going with this is, um, one second. I want to make sure I have this right. Luke Musgrave. That's who we were just talking about. Mac Jones. Matt Jones is like the perfect example of the NFL seeing one thing at the senior bowl. And they're like, damn it. You're a first round pick. He went to the senior bowl and now he was like sick. He was a quarterback. But he ran under a 4-4. He was, I think, 6-4, He was huge. And they were trying to transition him to wide receiver. And he made a one-handed Odell Beckham-like catch in the end zone. And he became a first-round pick. And he was, you know, an, a useful NFL player, but never like a, a high-end starter. And I think we could be finding that happening with Luke Musgrave. Because you mentioned it. Like, you kind of go back and watch him, and you're like, eh. Like, I, I didn't see a lot of special. But six six two fifty prototype. Like if you just wanted to draw up a perfect tight end in Madden, you would put his body in there. And then he broke twenty miles per hour at the Senior Bowl, and that's where the Matt Jones comparison comes in. Is when they tracked it, and he broke twenty miles per hour as a tight end. I think NFL GMs were like, "Whoa, we found something here." I think he has some fool's gold potential there. 
He's very raw with his route running. Um, he doesn't play to that speed. I don't care that he broke 20 miles per hour running down the field. You mentioned it like he's very, I think he's almost like thinking about his routes when he's running it. It's methodical. It's slow. He doesn't break tackles, but he's an intriguing ball of clay. Um, one other sleeper I'd like to mention, oh, where'd he go? I, there's a guy that I want to compare to Dawson Knox. Oh, Sam Laporta, 6'4", 249. The ball in his hands. He has great run after catch ability, open field. It reminds me somewhat of Knox where you had to, you had to, and when Knox was a rookie, you had to iron out the issues with the route running and how raw he was as a former quarterback. But once the ball got in his hands, you felt like he could break any tackle. He could run around any, any linebacker. And he had a chance to do something special. Once the ball got there, Laporte is much of the same way. You still have to figure out how to get the ball in his hands. And he doesn't catch the ball particularly well. His routes are very, very rough around the edges right now. But once he gets the ball, he's very dangerous for a 6'4", 249-pound guy. So that's somebody that I, I would like to mention. And then um, Luke Schoonmaker, good enough size and athleticism, blocks well. Another guy that I just kind of wanted to mention here. But otherwise, yeah, this tight end class to me, I, I think at the top it's very good. I don't know that the Bills are necessarily going to get in there. Um, if they want to roll the dice on just a freakish athlete, Zach Koontz is a 10 RAS, 6'7", 255, 40-inch <laughs> vertical, um, you know, out for the year because of an injury that, you know, obviously is going to hurt his draft style, but or his draft stock, but he has good receiving skills, only has 15 starts in college, so that's a negative, but, you know, maybe it's a ball of clay teams look at. I think with 6'7", 255, 4'5", 40-inch vertical, 10 RAS, some team will take a chance on him. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes off the board during day two because teams are like, you know what? Why not? <laughs> That's I don't know if it would be a day two, but he could be like, oh, he squeezed into that early day three situation. I think to wrap this one up, I the fascinating point is you brought up Laporta. Laporta is an interesting one. And you, you mentioned a lot of things. I was like, OK, OK. And all of a sudden I, I kind of had a uh, a tight end currently in the league pop into my head and be like, maybe something like that. I think Knox is also a great comparison, but then on, on a site that I currently just have over here, I pulled it up and I laughed a little bit as you were going through it because this site apparently had the same comp that I did. <laughs> um, the comp was Tyler Higby and like, it just oh. kind of makes sense a little bit. I'm like, Oh wow. If you could get a Tyler Higby out of, you know, Laporta, I think you'd be very, very happy with that. Oh, yeah. but it, it makes sense. I, I think that's right. And of course the weaknesses is basically has a long way to go as a blocker liability and run blocking <laughs> somewhat limited in usage and small sample size. It's like, well, I mean, those are definitely big weaknesses, but um, he can't yeah, catch I mean, and he can't block, but otherwise <laughs> it's this dude. Yeah. It's money. Like, Cause Tyler Higby though, the reason that he kind of came to mind was it's like, you got to, just figure out ways to get him the ball, get him in space, see what he can do as a playmaker and just be a little bit on the more creative side with that. And I think that's what the Rams did, you know, and do with Higby. It's like, they just try to create these things and situations that Higby can get the ball to himself easily and then turn it upfield, make a guy miss, do what he can do in the open space. And it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, that's a good pull there. Luca, are you excited about our Friday night fight? <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I am genuinely excited because I, one, I'm excited just to talk wide receivers, of course. Mm -hmm. But two, I'm just excited to have an open conversation with you, understanding that we have very different opinions on a lot of these guys in this draft class. 
And um, yeah, it should be a good uh, long hour plus of just, you know, hopefully not anything heated or anything. I don't think it would no, ever get to no, that it's, point. It's but, football, but yeah, but it's going to be a very, very fun conversation. That's for sure. And I will say the guy that's Luca's number one wide receiver, we've been talking off air and I, I have committed to going back and rewatching this week, some of the stuff, because, you know, I, I want to make sure, because I, I saw a few things and I was like, okay, I get it. But now I want to, I want to just, I want to get the full picture. So I, that's my homework assignment between now and Friday. I'm looking forward to it. I love the fact that it's draft season. Luca and I have a lot coming up for this show. So this coming Friday, we will be live on built in Buffalo with our deep dive into the wide receiver position. We would love for you to join us there and you can ask questions, interact with us. We love that. And then we will drop a fresh bills chat podcast episode on Monday where we do what we did tonight. Only on the defensive side of the ball, we'll be talking about linebackers, defensive linemen, defensive backs, you know, the positions. And then before you know it, we'll be talking about mock drafts and it'll be draft here, ready to go, and it's our one of our favorite nights on the sports calendar. Luca, we've covered a lot tonight. We're about to hit the two-hour mark. Is there anything else you'd like to say about anything we've talked about? No. I, I think we we did a lot of talking, especially again about offensive tackle, that's for sure. But um, it, this was fun. I'm glad we're back in draft conversation and everything like that, and I'm just really, honestly, I'm really looking forward to talking wide receivers. You know, I, I want to say my number one's name so bad. I'm just excited to talk about one guy, like, honestly. It's just my number one, the guy that I would be willing to take at 27, the guy I'd be willing to move up for a little bit to take, someone that I think could absolutely change things in this wide receiver room, change things for this offense, and just do so many great things for this team and get us to places that we need to go. Yeah, I'm just really excited for Friday. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I know you love my curveballs. You can pick one player we've talked about tonight, one player to wave a magic wand and make him a Buffalo Bill. Who is it? Well, since I didn't name the individual that I want to name super, super bad. Yeah, we didn't talk receivers. Yeah. We it's Bijan Robinson. Okay, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous because right. I am very anti running back in the first round. I understand all of that. It's just, if we may wave this magic wand, we're not talking about trading up. We're not talking about any of that. You didn't do anything at a cost to get him. It's just, he is now a Buffalo bill. Yes, it is B. John Robinson. Add B. John Robinson to this team. And just watch the magic throughout the entire season in the next five years, because Bijan Robinson for five years in his prime. Ooh, what a fun time that would be. So we didn't talk receivers. We talked offensive line. Yep. We talked tight end. So and we talked to other running backs. You're telling me that if in some weird world, the bills are on the clock and every offensive lineman we talked about is there. Every tight end we talked about is there. And Bijan is there. You would say Bijan Robinson? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's a best player available situation in my opinion. It's like everything. It's like, dude. It's just there's only in this draft. I think this is a great draft overall. Like we haven't talked about defense yet. Like you said, we are. We just talked about offense minus the wide receivers. So we're already limiting our pool a little bit. But out of tonight, and everyone's available. You didn't have to do anything to make them all available. Who am I taking? There's only one guy that we mentioned at all tonight that is an absolute game changer day one, and that's Bijan Robinson. I don't, 
I don't understand how you could think else when it comes to just these groups we talked about tonight. Like it'd be, you would have to have a very, very good argument on why, you know, uh, one of these offensive tackles, whether it's Skronsky, you know, Dewan Jones, who I love, and we talked about that at length, you know, Paris Johnson, mm-hmm. or, you know, if it was Michael Meyer, who I also have said how much I love, it's like, I get it. But Bijan Robinson is just different. He is one of one. He is quite literally in this draft and we will get into defense. He's probably one of including quarterbacks, which we also didn't talk about tonight including quarterbacks, including defense, just to put a number on it, he's probably one of five. One of five one-of-one game-breaker guys that I'm like, this is blue chip and a half, unreal talent, comes in, massive impact. Unless, you know, obviously since I included quarterbacks, unless you have a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, he comes into any organization and is just an absolute dynamic just addition to that roster and is going to blow up on your team. Yep. I think the guy for me, I mean, Bijan's my answer. He's my answer. I don't know how close it is. The guy that if I wasn't going to choose Bijan would be probably be Paris Johnson. I'm higher on him than Luca is. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it's not like I, I can sit here and just tell you definitively that Paris Johnson is going to be a stud tackle. I can tell you definitively that unless he blows out his knee or he commits a crime like Bijan Robinson is going to be a star in this league. And I'd love to see that on the bills, but Jim Kelly came out this week and said that the bills need a star running back to pair with Josh Allen. I don't know if the bills are in the market for listening to Jim Kelly's advice, but take that for what it's worth. And then our, our guy, Bruce Nolan got Twitter so pissed today because he, he quote tweeted and said, what does Kelly know? Marino was better anyway. I love that. Oh. I, I love Bruce. I mean, I just love what he was trying to accomplish with that tweet, even if he didn't believe it. And then he got people upset and then he started defending it. And I just, I loved every minute of it. I respected all of it. And I think I agreed with it. Is that, is that sacrilegious to say? It, a little bit, but I mean, it's what Bruce did is funny. It's, yeah. It's lol worthy, but. Just Whoa. got him right in. And yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we know enough about Bruce Nolan, though. He was just trying to figure out what accounts he wants to mute. Like, he probably hasn't muted people in a while. So he was just like, okay, this person's annoying. This person's annoying. And I just enjoyed it. But I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed this show tonight. I love the fact we went two hours. I love that we are back in draft season. And I love the fact, Luca, that we will be back together in less than a week this coming Friday on Bill's chat live on built-in Buffalo. It'll be all about the wide receivers. We will get you ready for the best pest catchers in this draft. Do the bills have a guy they can take at 27 who can not only take over for Gabe Davis's wide receiver two, but be that future wide receiver one in the organization. We shall see if you're watching this on YouTube, please, please, please like comment and subscribe. We really appreciate it. We are trying so hard to make built in Buffalo, your one-stop shop for all Buffalo bills content, particularly in the off season. We take great pride in making sure we're always putting out good product for you. You can see Luca this coming Thursday, correct? Thursday at noon, always every noon at Thursday, this coming Thursday for Sabres chat. I have a feeling you might be talking about a certain goaltender, spoiler alert, maybe, uh, but we'll have to see what Sabres chat has has in store for us. Um, you can see me I on, on <laughs> I forgot the name of the show, Quick Hits, Built-in Buffalo Quick Hits, where uh, Stokes and myself will be breaking down 
different topics of the day. Last week, we talked about Bills bringing back David Questenberry. They brought back Jordan Phillips. Brandon Bean talked about DeAndre Hopkins. I think we're going to start transitioning into some draft coverage, talking about specific players that the Bills could be in, dedicating specific videos to those guys. We got you covered. Luca, Stokes, myself, built in Buffalo in general on, on draft coverage. And we will see you next week on Bill's Chat Podcast next Monday when we will be talking about the defensive side of the football. Until then, for Josh and Luca, we will see you next time.